from the age of eight brother, brother, brother. from the age of eight old from a dead man, man. greetings. Coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. We're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. There will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. That is the moment of real danger. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control. And this news about the new variant has been a uh, an incredibly difficult end to, frankly, an awful year. And it's important for everybody to act, essentially act like they might have the virus. And that's the way that we can control it together. The way ahead is hard. And it is still true that many lives will sadly be lost. Our advisory group on new and emerging respiratory virus threats, nerve tag, has spent the last few days analyzing this new variant. It may be up to 70% more transmissible than the old variant, the original version of the disease. You, you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Assume you might be infectious, assume you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Today, the United Kingdom's chief medical officers have advised that the country should move to alert level five, meaning that uh, if action is not taken, NHS capacity may be overwhelmed within 21 days. And it's going to spread further. And I, I must level with you, level with the, the British public. Um, more families, uh, many more families, are going to lose loved ones before their time. Your colleague on stage, John Edmonds, has just sent me a statement saying that as far as he's concerned, this is the worst moment of the epidemic because of the extraordinary inf infectivity of this new strain. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, this is a horrible moment for sure. I to say, as I'm really sorry to hear about your two relatives who died from this virus. I mean, it is a very dangerous virus uh, for many people. We're looking to move to a different regime, so as we come to the fourth step, we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behaviour.
Jesse. Can you hear me? I can. You seem very quiet, though. Let me turn. Can you hear me? Is that bit better? Yeah. Can you hear, can you hear me? me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Can you hear me? Is this better? That's, Is this that's better? better. That's better. Yeah. Much better now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> okay. Not sure which that volume is, but this one apparently is my mic. Okay. Uh, let's just fix my hair a little bit. Hey, lucky you've got hair. <laughs> um, when you send that picture, the first. Oh no! What happened here? Schedule time doesn't match. Edit. What the heck? Six p.m. today. 6 p.m. Facebook doesn't match the others. It's good. August 1st, 8 p.m. No, it's 6 p.m. <clears throat> okay. Um, minute video intro. Oh, yeah. What I was saying is uh, when you said that first picture and then uh, I told my girlfriend she does the ads and she's like... Uh, um, she's like, he looks younger in that. He said, you like that other picture because you looked younger or whatever, right? And so I sent her the other one. So how she did was the other one. She kind of put it so you can't see the <laughs> you can't see the top. And then she sent it to you just so that way you can use that picture yourself if you're ever giving it to anybody. It's got your name on there and you can actually use that picture if you liked it. Well, thank you very much. Much appreciated. So stick in your... Oops. Uh here create banner paste <clears throat> okay minute video intro nobody's gonna see or hear you once your face pops back on the screen we're gonna introduce you ask you to tell us about yourself going in depth as you like um once your face uh pops i mean once you're done then i'm just gonna start asking you some questions about uh you know, about uh, you and just the world and, you know, just wherever the things lie. I like to include the audience when I can, if they have any good questions that pop up. But uh, it's about a two-hour conversation, if you're good with that. Um, I've got as much time as uh, you would like. Okay, perfect. So if we go over, it's okay. Mm. Okay, so we'll see you in a minute. Okay.
everyone has something to share in either wisdom, story, or logic. And it's clearly amazing to hear all the different missing links discovered by people unique to their own journeys and in how they have come to discover them. Together, we can help to build a bigger picture for a better future for a brighter tomorrow. Let's stand united. Let's remove the veils and let's create a new world together. Are you that missing link? Join Jesse Hale on the Missing Link Talk Show as he helps to unveil the mystery through the unique wisdom and store of others. Three, two, one. Welcome, 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 welcome everybody here back to The Missing Link. Today we're excited to talk to um, someone who's a systems neuroscientist specializing in neuropsychiatric and neurodegenerative disorders with a focus on SARS and its bio-warfare origins. Welcome to The Missing Link, Dr. Kevin W. McCarran. How are you doing today, brother? Uh, I'm doing very well. Um, how are you? Uh, doing really, really good. Good to have you on here on The Missing Link. Um, why don't you start off with telling us about yourself, about your journey, a little bit about your background, education, what got you into neuroscience, maybe what part of the world you grew up in, what part of the world you're in now, if you can share that information. Anything that you wanted to share with the audience here today, especially if they may be hearing you here for the first time. Yeah. So uh, as you said, I'm a systems neuroscientist. And um, how did I get into that? Um, Good, good luck i would say i had an interest in the in the brain and the mind and um and when i was when i were a wee lad neuroscience was uh, an emerging subject um it wasn't um it seems to be everywhere nowadays but um i was fortunate enough to get on to a degree program at edinburgh university and then i had a um, long protracted PhD, but um, very, very good one where I, well, I, I d developed uh, what was the world's first primate model of Tourette syndrome, which encompasses the neuropsychiatric. But at the same time, um, you know, there's there's no money in helping children, so uh, the neurodegenerative side um, I would do as well in primates. Parkinson's, etc., and um, I was involved in developing uh, the use of something called deep brain stimulation, and uh, its use for neuropsychiatric disorder. That that was my primary goal, and I had a um, somewhat comfortable career um, climbing up the ladder, as you do, and the what has turned out to be the scientific military industrial complex which we're all getting a rather distasteful um experience of especially over the last three years and at the beginning of the SARS outbreak so December I I, I was visiting Korea a city called Daegu and that's where I had my lab actually and um i i ran into i'm pretty sure was um sars the virus this was december 2019 um it was a horrendous few 
weeks, uh, a very, very scary first week because it was such uh, an assault on myself. And, but what I, I experienced was that SARS has a um, predilection for targeting the central nervous system. And as, a, as I was sort of recovering, um, we began to hear news coming from China that there was uh, a potential new um, pathogen, SARS-based pathogen, emerging. And uh, very, very quickly, a, a talk about laboratory origins leaks began to appear. And my... My experience through uh, contact with SARS, I'm, I'm trained in clinical neuroscience, I've worked in hospitals a lot, I've experienced most uh, illnesses that people run into in their lives, and I could tell that there was something particularly unique about what I'd run into. And so I tried, I, I tried my best to um, convince people from you know, using my academic position and credentials to warn people about this is this is a pathogen which is it's not a, a pneumonia as people were um, initially describing it and as the years have gone by we've come to learn that um, it's far far more than a what they call ARDS acute respiratory distress syndrome it goes far far deeper it's a uh, it's technically known as a systemic coagulopathy and also as this, you know, the, the, the ability to penetrate into the central nervous system. And um, I've spent the last three years uh, trying to raise the issue of it being a lab origin pathogen. Um, I don't know how much you've been keeping up with current events, but... You know, what was, um, well, essentially, you ran into a very coordinated censorship infrastructure should you try to talk about SARS in, in that manner, uh, in a way that um, was in, in contrast to what the orthodox and mainstream media were putting out. And, you know, as particularly in the last six months, we've come to learn about um, Twitter files and how, the, how they've had organized groups ready to control social media, to, to control um, people's perceptions, etc. things like Trusted News Initiative and um, all manner of I what to call them, special interest. I, I think of them as quasi private military companies that are there doing doing the censorship and bidding of higher bureaucratic powers, as it were. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've, ha I've had to step out of the academic system, as it were. I've become somewhat of a renegade scientist trying to warn people about this. And yeah, things things have started to change in the last few months as the evidence has just become overwhelming that um, the 
original scientists, the authorities that the uh, all these organizations and bureaucracies were reliant on were were in fact lying. They published a, a very influential paper within weeks of the pandemic starting called The Proximal Origins of SARS-CoV-2. And we've, we have um, all their two congressional hearings, we have all their private emails and their Slack chats where they're saying one thing in private and deliberately obfuscating in their in their public statements and then publishing it in you know, the high impact journals which the fact checkers go to etc and those of us there were very very few of us at the beginning that stood up and said this this looks like and is a lab origin pathogen and i think that's a sort of good good introduction to what i've been how I ended up here and talking to you. So how does that make you feel as a doctor, you know, knowing, you know, things that you did, especially right from the beginning and seeing what has transpired to you, any other doctors, journalists being censored, being harmed, being, you know, uh, medical licenses being stripped, you know, like how does that make you feel in the medical profession, you know, getting a doctorate, becoming a part of that profession and seeing what has happened to good, honest people that were just trying to, you know, maybe shed a different light, maybe to get, you know, to get people looking at it in a different way. We're getting hammered, censored and sometimes even whacked. Um, makes me feel furious um, as a it may sound a little um, naive I guess but you know that I, I, I took seriously the, um, the the idea that when you become um, a subject matter specialist you get your PhD and there's you know when I did my PhD, there was a whole bunch on ethics courses and how it was important to, um, you know, learn the learn the where it's easy for other scientists to cheat or organisations to again obfuscate for their own own personal needs and and having you're supposed to be the person with the um, the credentials and the moral authority to be able to speak up and and to watch so many well like i said there weren't that many at the beginning it's changing somewhat now as the um the, their official story has sort of imploded but what it what it taught me was is that i would i would say that most of the people who have qualifications and that are in positions where they could have spoken out and didn't tells me that they shouldn't be in those positions. Um, the public were reliant on them. And what happened was we saw a collapse of this, of the institutes, of, of these systems. And, you know, to give you a little bit of statistics, um, there are over 18,000 employees in NIH, NIAID. There was not one whistleblower. The whistleblowers we had 
came from one from China, Li Min Yang, um, one person from uh, EcoHealth, uh, Andrew Huff, of course, my good friend Charles Rixey, um, and there were there, there were a couple of others, but but not many. And um, it's a it's an indication of just how rotten our systems have become, and they they no longer serve public in fact what we've seen over the last three years is that they're potentially very harmful to the public interest right now and um we either turn it around now or essentially you're going to have the well the worst prognostications with respect to techno technocratic tyranny that a lot of people are talking about uh, i'm sure you're familiar with world economic forum etc and how they propose how we should be um rearranging our lives to support their particular program etc and you know i'm sure as we get into this conversation we can um take a look at the the links between those transnational governments uh governments, um bodies how they um how they interact with governments in public private partnerships and how again our institutes particularly in the US so the NIH NIAID has literally been a cover for biowarfare industries as they exist today and it's these industries which were either Again, it's difficult to prove intent in these particular complex issues, but they are culpable and were running much of the research into these agents. And also there's a massive conflict of interest because they're also getting a lot of money with respect to what we call uh, medical countermeasures. And the forcing i i'm I, I don't think forcing is too strong a word but the forcing of vaccinations the um disruption to people's lives that the pandemic caused was a was a consequence of this overlap between military and pub what's supposed to be public services and um yeah here we are reaping the results of it so here we have a question. I want to get into the biowarfare a little bit later, but this is from a good friend of ours, Lori Root. She's a, a dialysis nurse that was for 40 years that just retired. Um, she was able to keep her job through the three years and, you know, retire on her own accord without getting the injection. So she, you know, she was one of the four more fortunate ones, I guess, to say that we're in the medical system. But she's got an important question here. How do you think people can trust doctors and nurses now that went along with this whole thing? Do you think that they should have been more aware, should have been a little bit more protective of, you know, just not just injecting someone with something that comes with a blank um, insert package, you know, not knowing what the problems are? Do you think that they should have been more of people that have kind of stood up and questioned and and joined on the fight and how do people trust doctors and nurses now that they didn't do that um 
it's a complex question. Um, look, I, I, I honestly think 99% of doctors and nurses knew nothing about all these interrelationships between all these departments and again the merging of military into the civilian um the civilian into the transnational public private partnership and so i think that many many just um went along to get along and the you know the terrible fact is is that as the pandemic began to emerge there were orders on top uh, coming from the top which basically said um all the all the medical knowledge the accrued medical knowledge that people in um, the health industries had acquired with respect to treating viral infection were thrown out of the window uh, i don't know if you can remember at the beginning of the pandemic there was instructions basically that said um don't come to the hospital or if you feel ill don't come to the hospital take some paracetamol and wait for your lips to turn blue that was their literal words and um then if you if you went into hospital um normal normal procedures were shoved aside and there was a push for ventilation as a means to control the um, the spread of SARS, um, which was look you put anyone on ventilation, you're you're asking for severe sequelae um, because you have to heavily sedate people, etc. And um, and the sad thing is, particularly in the United States, there was a financial um inducement to categorize people with SARS and then put them into um I don't know, not even ICUs per se but COVID wards where they would um isolation units yeah yeah and ventilate they would get um way more money it was a it was a guaranteed paycheck from government and all all, all of this mounted up to I, I don't think it's um being too verbose to say what, what what was essentially a genocide um we saw it in many countries sweden refused to give their elderly um the simplest of interventions like oxygen etc there were many in the uk if you had um some learning disorder or um mental incapacitation they ruthlessly put do not resuscitate uh, notices on their medical files and the list the list goes on and on and in retrospect what it looks like happened is that they ramped up the death numbers through iatrogenic um, interventions and this isn't to say that there wasn't people getting ill with SARS and suffering. I, I know what it's, I know what the illness is like. It's lucky I had a, I had a very, very torrid time, but it was just prior to the announcement that it, it, it had um, emerged in Wuhan. And, you know, as a little anecdote here, 
um, the city I was visiting, I mentioned that I was in Korea in the December. Um, Daegu, the city, had a um, strong relationship with Wuhan, with a you've ever come to the east and been to Korea, um, you find that Christian cults everywhere. And there's a very, very large Christian cult in Daegu that was traveling backwards and forwards from Wuhan. And they had a, they basically instigated the, one of the largest super spreader events of the whole pandemic. And I, I think that I picked up at the beginning and it it was telling me that the virus was circulating earlier than what they were saying so again we were catching them uh in lies but the um yeah the 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 institutes had a serious failing and you know to the question of whether you can trust your doctor or nurse now, um, I don't know. Perhaps if they're um, honest in their discussions and they say, yes, things things were um, high pressure, I, I conform to what were diktats from upon high, and we didn't, we didn't do what should have been normal treatment for um, individuals that were coming in. Um, with SARS-like symptoms. I mean, it, it gets even worse that they would deny these people antibiotic treatment. Um, you get a viral infection. Um, quite often you'll get a dysbiosis and some some viral, sorry, bacterial pneumonia will take a hold and that will that will increase the numbers as well. And the more numbers that they were able to um, push out to the public, the more compliant the public became because it's um, no one wants to be part of those statistics, right? And and then you had um, what was essentially a capitalistic spasm of greed and opportunism for them to roll out. therapies that had not been tested very well right so you'll you'll hear many people who have been harmed by um exposure to things like remdesivir um and other other practices that were again forced onto doctors and nurses and they were they were essentially trapped by their hospital bureaucracies and it didn't work out well for the patients who turned up. Now, isn't that a little bit strange that they would be pushing things like the REM death is near and, you know, other type of, you know, newer type of treatments and then, you know, not allowing people like we've interviewed here over 60 doctors here, you know, in the last two and a half years and some doctors that were even fired for giving their patients the ivermectin and had positive results, saved all their people, but actually got fired for doing something that normally a medical doctor, it's in their hands to 
justify what kind of treatment. It usually isn't up to hospital dictates. A doctor chooses what best course of action from all of their, you know, research, education, experience, what's the best, you know, suited for that patient. And they were doing that, but now they were getting fired. They were getting medical license stripped. But yet these unproven things like the remdethesnir was being pushed on the people which were actually killing people. It is, that's quite strange. Yeah, again, um, autonomy from doctors was removed. Um, you know, the thing with um, remdesivir is that, you know, that they were able to show, and, and this is um, a, a sad reflection on how the, the scientific and medical literature can be used and abused to um, force um, force policy, and the 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 fact is is that um, remdesivir can work, right? But there's this tiny, tiny, slim window in which it can work. Okay, and if you miss that window, and then they just put you on a on a ventilator and then they just start uh, a constant drip of uh, remdesivir then you're probably looking at a um, very protracted recovery and it, it doesn't mean it's like that for everyone but there's enough of a safety signal that under normal circumstances in the world I lived in prior to this pandemic where you know I worked in clinical science environment so I was very familiar with how um, drugs and medical devices um, should have been tested before being unleashed on the public etc um, all of that was thrown out of the window and again um, of course there's the monetary aspect that's obviously a big driver um, but then there are more um, perhaps sinister reasons that um, we're, we're seeing the results that we have seen. And the amazing, amazing is probably disturbing um, fact is, is that America um, seems to have taken some of the highest casualty levels in this pandemic compared to the rest of the world. And again, you know, you could, I would make the argument that there are multiple factors at play. One, of course, is the um, corporation profits, Uberalis, and the simple fact that what was what should have been a public health issue was something that was controlled. Now that we now we know. Um, by military command and control systems, and this this had enormous implications for for people's health, for the livelihood of doctors, for um, right, even even down to the. I don't want to make it sound mundane, but the, you know, people's livelihoods all all were impacted by the decision-making apparatus which was um, automatically it was essentially turnkey right as they as they announced that there was 
the pandemic, etc. All these organizations, um, entities, etc., were able to line up to produce at the individual patient level these terrible, terrible responses that we've seen um, over the last three years. Um, now, I would add as a caveat to that that when dealing with military programs, particularly as we know we were dealing with biowarfare research and the medical countermeasures industry, it's worth billions and billions of dollars. And someone or some group had a overview of how these systems would operate. And under the current circumstances, I would say that those people knew very deliberately what they were doing as they essentially lined up what were pieces and elements of a weapon system and had it released against an unsuspecting public. Um, it's not just the virus itself. It's not just the research that goes into making this chimeric biology. It's not just the medical countermeasures research which comes up with things like vaccines, but which aren't vaccines, but are in fact um, genetic engineering tools um, that I don't know if they, well, I, I can give you an anecdote about how they think about these perhaps later in the interview. And um, as well as the um, bureaucratic changes that had to happen um, almost instantaneously. And it's all of those which I, I would argue constitute the um, 21st century equivalent of, or, or we call it next generation, biowarfare. I'm not sure if you remember the general that came up onto the podium. I think this was when Trump was still there and said that this was actually a military exercise. I don't know if he slipped up or what, but he sounded like, yeah, this was kind of like an exercise, this whole thing that maybe got too out of control. And you mentioned that, you know, this is something kind of led by the military industrial complex it's you know there's this is bio warfare it's not coming from your average joe scientist these are coming from military labs and you mentioned that america seemed to have got affected the worst so it's almost like they obviously they wanted to weaken everybody's moral everybody's spirit but America is kind of leads the way, you know, for the last, you know, whatever, 50 or 100 years, whether it's militarily, economically has kind of been kind of the leader of the, the world. But it seemed like, you know, it America was weakened the most by what had transpired. So if this is led by the military and the military industrial complex in NATO is supposed to be, you know, the American side, 
but they're attacking their own people. Do you think that maybe the military industrial complex, these bioweapons manufacturers, the people that are responsible, uh, maybe don't have the Americans best interest at heart anymore? Maybe it's, you know, something else or other entities uh, that have maybe taken control of the military industrial complex to be able to attack its own people the way that it has for the last three years. Well, um, you mentioned a very, very important point there, which is, are there entities who managed to leverage control such that the impact would be felt so profoundly in the United States? And so and a good indicator of that is that all U.S. service members were subject to an experimental gene transfection technology that had been wrapped up uh, with a tiny fig leaf of um, it's a vaccine. Um, I speak with members, ex-members of the military. Um, that's not normal protocol. You would never do that um, under normal conditions. Um, perhaps half your standing forces, maybe. The other half you would try to sequester away to make sure that they were um, that they weren't subject to any <sighs> unforeseen side effects. And you know we have seen data that the military has suffered um, increases in a number of um, uh, adverse events. Um, the figures are somewhat disputed right now. Um, there are a lot of people going around pushing data that isn't quite correct. Um, oh, name names. Uh, Thomas Renz is one. Um, these uh, there are errors in the figures that he's presenting. It's it's not like these things didn't happen, but he's inaccurate in the numbers that have been. Um, presented to the public but the important like, issue like higher numbers like yeah, he's actually okay. higher the, the simple fact is is the data set that he was using basically is counting doctors visits rather than unique cases if you get someone who gets myocarditis and they then have to go to the doctor four or five times that that was getting counted as individual cases and so it's bumping it's bumping the stats up and when you hear people saying, oh, there's a 1,300% increase in whatever um, illness, the same myocarditis, because that's one people are very familiar with, um, those figures aren't true. And But there are increases. And this is the, um, the landscape in which, in which we have to operate now. And, you know, the, it's fair to be asking who was capable of again lining up all these systems and being being able to weaponize them in the fashion that they did and the again you mentioned entities right what what type of entities could do that well you know it sort of points towards a sort of transnational organization or groups um, you know, we have a anachronistic view of um, what countries are, etc. And 
um, borders and all, all, all that is so 19th century compared to how these transnational groups view the world. Um, essentially globalist, borderless um, areas of resources and workers to be managed and um, cajoled and controlled in any manner that they see fit. Um, they tell us on a daily basis that that's what they're going to do. And, um, you know, it's you don't have to dig very far to find that it's a, it's a sort of operational principle that's been around... You can go back to uh, Malthusia, I guess, um, and the chicken little skies falling um, approach that we'll never be able to feed ourselves. But these are people that took Malthusian-type doctrine in the 60s and 70s, the Club of Rome, Petra, and they made um, a whole bunch of predictions about how the human race was um, on an exponential growth we're literally there taking um, scientific data like bacteria in a petri dish and assuming that human beings are going to um, behave in the same way and they were predicting by the year 2000 we'd have um, you know, 100 billion people on the planet and we would be unable to survive this this um, these types of projections and, and modeling were um completely devoid from actual reality much like uh the academia that we have today again the ivory towers are a significant problem um and as a as a species i guess because it's a worldwide problem we have to we have to rein these people in and you know as far as i'm concerned if you had um, technical knowledge that you could look at what was happening over the last three years and you didn't speak up, um, you should lose your position. You don't deserve the title of PhD or, or principal investigator, etc., professor. Um, although all these people should be stripped of their titles, stripped of the comfy benefits that we... Um, allow them to have because we well, in, a sense, in a sense we've come to deify science and scientists as a, a sort of modern day priesthood and um how many how many more um episodes like the last three years do we want to be going through because um there are other um Dangers coming down the pipeline. You can see that around things like global warming, etc. These are all um, tools, cudgels that they will use for population control. Try and get you into what's euphemistically called 15 minute cities um, and have you tagged and traced in a way that um, exceeds even the worst visions and imaginations of Huxley and Orwell and we're, we're at that point right now and this is why it's so important for people to um, grab the nettle of bio-warfare as what we were dealing with. I know a lot of people will just, their 
thinking about medical freedom, the doctors, etc., as you mentioned, and this is this is the problem that we have to deal with. I would say you're not seeing the full problem. You're not understanding the biowarfare component, and unless you do, and unless you understand the role of think tanks who are essentially setting policy in, in this environment, you are going to continue to be subject to their predations. Like DARPA? DARPA, yeah. It's a, a good one. Ulam Ditra. Um, the list goes... Name a, name a government organization and you'll find them linked uh, at some level to a um, network of individuals, highly nepotistic with high in-group preference that make sure that they maintain their grip on the money hose of tax dollars that's extorted from the public. Um, now, Ditra is a, um interesting example. And, you know, we didn't just pop out into this uh, series of events three years ago. There's been many, many decades building up to this current moment. Now, you can go back to the Second World War, if you like, and go back further, but, you know, the, the US... Uh, are you familiar with Operation Paperclip? Of course. Yeah. So uh, I've been researching this stuff for 30 years, so I'm pretty aware to most things that are going on because I've been at it a long time trying to make people awake and aware of things that you know for some reason i was able to see and glad that there are i i know that there are many people out there who who do see this i, I come in into contact with many i stream every day well, most days i would say and um yes you need to you need to understand this history you need to understand how uh, I'll use a couple of historical benchmarks, so like the Second World War, so Operation Paperclip, how um, the role of yeah, bio, engineering, biowarfare um, in the age of nuclear um, technological development was tracking along at the the sort of same pace and they realized that um by warfare you can kill far far more people far far more cheaply than um building expensive um minuteman missiles with multiple re-entry vehicles etc and, and the less the less accountability is the big one because yes. it's a lot it's a lot harder if you shoot a gun a bomb a tank a warship you know where it's coming from you know who it is but when they release these things under the guise of this shell company from this department from this lab to you know and you got all these people in the mix then it's a lot harder to prove accountability to who's actually making the decisions on this yes absolutely and um, the ambiguity around biowarfare agents is one of the driving factors for why this industry still exists. And, you know, we can get a little bit, you know, it's become a, 
um, a big topic of discussion in the last couple of weeks because of RFK around um, fingerprints within SARS, which would perhaps indicate that there's a um, predilection for certain races versus others. Um, that's a topic that I've been speaking about for a long time. No one wanted to go there and touch it, but um, you know that that particular glass ceiling has been broken in the last few weeks but the you mean like a people of color that are being affected a lot more than what maybe other people have by some of these bioweapons yes yeah, so there's uh, a number of studies which show that um there are what's called advantageous polymorphisms within the spike protein and essentially it's a computational prediction basically um now you know there's a axiom of garbage in garbage out etc and um but there were multiple scientific studies which were published and i mean i could bring them up for you and show them to you help it maybe help explain a little of what's going on but um what they showed was that there was um people from sort of the southern European continent region haplogroup, I'm thinking about it. Um, uh, people of color uh, were most at risk, whereas the advantageous polymorphisms um, tended to favor uh, in this order um, Chinese, Finns, and then Ashkenazi Jews. Now, wow, I would really like that study. And I don't know if you wanted to share screen it or something, but that is, that is, wow. I, I haven't heard of that one yet. Bring it up. Just give me a few seconds. But um, yeah, of course, the now you could make the argument that, oh, one, one area of advantageous polymorphism in a uh, region that's critical to the infective cycle you know it's it's the luck of the draw with respect to um just genes and different groups etc and but in this particular instance um as i find this paper what we find is that there are in fact two regions of advantageous polymorphism and So, um, if I can share screen, is it present? Present, yeah, it's present, and then share screen, and then you can pick either a tab or your entire screen. Uh, it's just share screening was cancelled. You have to do that again, or or maybe that was mine. Uh, I think your end but okay. I think if I just do this
yeah. probably yeah. see. Yeah, it, it's popped up. Okay, so we've got Inception-like effects, and this is um, the paper. Um, this came out relatively early in the um, the pandemic, but new insights into genetic susceptibility of COVID-19 and ACE2 and TMPRSS2 polymorphism analysis. Now, it's a very wordy title, but again, what it means is which racial groups are more susceptible to the ability of the virus to bind to the ACE2 receptor. And in the infection pro uh, process, there's a um, what's called a furin cleavage site, which is um, very, very suspicious with respect to um, engineering and uh, manipulation of the virus. And so TMPRSS2 is transmembrane serine protease, which is an enzyme which cuts at the furin cleavage site, allowing the virus to um, essentially increase access to the cell. And also this furin cleavage site increases massively the number of tissues that it's able to infect. And I want to find just another paper because this will, this one a little on the complex side. Which one's the one that would specifically be talking about that it would be less affecting on the Chinese, the Finns, and the Ashkenazis? This, this, this paper does, um, but it, I'm looking for another one that has uh, a more simple um, graphic, I guess. That, um, so that last one that said BBC Medicine, so that these are actually medical, these are Isn't medical these, documents or? Uh, yeah, these are, these are published. Um, It's actually there's there's a whole bunch of papers which it's not just one paper. I'm trying to find the exact one. We have a question from the audience from uh, Mark from our Facebook says, "Does this hypothesis mean Lenny Kravitz is at risk or safe? Because I think he's half half well, uh, dark skin, half light skin. Would that just increase the chances because he has the dark genes?" Um, again, it's not. Th th these aren't binary effects, right? These are. You have to think of them as essentially just like putting your finger on a scale to. Um, nudge your susceptibility and the um Uh, 
I'm all, all I'm looking for is a very, very, it's a simple. And thank you for everybody that's sharing this out to getting this out to as many people as possible. We, you know, we all know with all of the censorship, um, you know, and the algorithms, the more people that, you know, like, comment, respond, share, the more it kind of hits into the algorithm. So appreciate all of you that are able to share this out with your people and on, you know, different platforms. Um, like I say, it's, it's not, um, people, people in is our first safety signals with respect to, um, the harms that could come from gene transfecting people as a vaccination. Some of the first safety signals came out of Israel. Um, you, you know, you've got to be very careful about um, saying it, it's it's a be all and end all. But the issue is, is that there are these fingerprints in the in the data, which point to the fact that we're entering an age where they're able to tune pathogens to have specific effects and one one of the things that you have to um grasp is how modern biowarfare works and what they do is um you'll see that they have laboratories uh in areas of the world where what they're doing is that they're sampling the biome of the region and so I'm sure people are aware of uh, the Ukrainian labs, which have come into the news because of their li links to uh, Biden, etc. And these are Ditra-run labs. And the way that this modern biowarfare works is that what you want to do is you sample the um, biome the, and the virome of a region and you make a pathogen such that it's it's endemic to the area um you make it so it's a uh, more aggressive and you develop a countermeasure so that your your side isn't affected should you deploy the agent that's that's how this all works and they put it again they have a um tiny tiny little fig leaf where they just say oh we're just trying to stay one step ahead of the um the bad actor as it were but as it as it turns out the bad actor has been them. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's our institutions and the um the, the simple simple fact is that um we are we are at their mercy all the time that we allow these programs to exist they will it, it's essentially a gun to our head and you know i'm i'm not finding the paper that i'm looking for so ali back there so is it kind of the same theory so as in say if you're taking honey 
if you're eating honey from the area that it's coming from, you're eating the honey, you know, from the, your, you know, geographical area, it's going to benefit you more than if you're getting honey transported from some other places, because the bees make the pollen in the areas have the plants and it kind of affects your geological location. So uh, again, with these weapons, they're create these weapons that affect those people most in that geological location. Mm. And then they create, create you know the antidote so not only to protect them but then they can also come as the white knight in shining armor as they've got this cure which they're obviously going to make you know shit piles of money uh, off of their cure of the problem that they've created um yes you're correct and if i found the figure i was looking for it's on the screen there so um what you're looking at is a graph which looks at the binding potential. So the, how much energy um, is, is available for the virus to attach to the ACE2 receptor of a particular individual. The higher the number, the more strongly it will um, bind to the, recep uh, the receptor and the more chance you have of um, the infection process beginning to start. And here you can see it's European, South Asian, European, African, African-American, South Asian, East Asian. Um, the native just means the essentially the standard... Um, the, the standard phenotype that they've um, studied over um, many, the, the reference genotype, if you like. And then at the bottom, you can see that there are Ashkenazi Jews. Now, can you make this bigger at any chance? Like, is there any way to make that just so it that, that just that graph goes bigger? Uh, sure. Um, just so people could see that a little bit better. just a little up yeah perfect much better now i can read that I'm, I'm not sure everybody can read that if they're on their phones but anybody on a computer should be able to read that but that's fascinating that wow because a lot of people believe the ashkenazis are the ones who are kind of pulling the strings they're you know the ones who are kind of you know behind a lot of you know the nefarious the uh military the you know kind of the gang mentality the you know the, the the criminal empires are run by these organizations a lot of people point their fingers into those directions for for many years now mm, yep yeah. uh, the kosher nostra um the um so it gets a little more weird than this right so one one advantageous polymorphism is um you know it's interesting etc but the um the issue is is that there is a second advantageous polymorphism that people rarely speak about now um all the fuss around um rf kennedy um in the last few weeks is because he was talking about this particular graph and if we go to um this paper um, the first one I was talking about. Um, what you find is is that um, Ashkenazi also have 
advantageous polymorphisms with respect to the transmembrane serine protease, which um, essentially cleaves the spike protein, allowing it to um, pull itself to the cell to inject its um, genetic material. And if we scroll down here, so actually this graph here, it's the, the reason. This is the reason I wanted to show you the other graph because it's it, that one's a bit more easy to um, to visualize. Get a visual, yeah, yeah. To get a visual for sure. So um, basically, what this plot is doing is the same thing. So it, where it says African, these are all the different. Um, haplogroups, right? And we can see, if we look at ASJ, which is Ashkenazi, this is um, the uh, how much the polymorphisms can change with the inner group. And you can see all the others have sort of colored squares in there, which is a measure of probability. And here you can see that Ashkenazi don't None. have any. And also with respect to the transmembrane serine protease, their potential to bind with it is much, much lower compared to most other groups as well. And so Wow. That's so fascinating because a lot of people have the theory or the, you know, the uh, roadblock and say, well, how could they release something if it's going to affect them or their children? But you actually can have some proof here that, you know, they can release these type of deadly pathogens or viruses, which is going to affect them or their people a lot less, if any. Well, so let's let's be a little um clear here with respect to what we're talking about yes there's a degree of the lethality around SARS-CoV-2 but it's not it's not Ebola right it, there's not 50% people dying the issue around SARS-CoV-2 is that it has the um or it fits all the characteristics of what we would call an incapacitation agent so what do i mean by that well, I'm sure, well, I hope your listeners are aware of the, um, essentially what they call long COVID. Um, it's a post-viral post syndrome that leaves people, um, again, incapacitated. And those numbers run anything from 10 to 30% of people who come in contact with the virus. Now, um, we personally know some. We know personally know some people that have long COVID or have been affected by it. So yeah, we we definitely have heard about this. And uh, if you're familiar with how they were prior to infection and how they are now, they've had. You, sure, you can confirm that they've had a significant impact on their ability to conduct everyday life, mm -hmm. and the. Stop sharing. Um, I've got to find the web page with the link. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in a little about the, how should we say, international treaties and laws as they pertain to 
by a warfare agent. So in the late 60s, early 70s, it was realized that offensive biological warfare, chemical warfare, was essentially a race to the bottom because they're cheap and easy to make, right? And so what they did was they went around and said, we're, you know, to great fanfare, we're no longer doing uh, biological warfare research. Um, it's too dangerous for mankind, etc. And they um, essentially went around and just changed everything to what's called defensive biowarfare, which means they were still able to continue to do the research, but they were looking at it through this lens of medical countermeasures. It provided a degree of legal coverage. In the nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare treaties, there is a loophole with respect to these agents, which says that you can't make, it's against our conventions to make deadly agents, right? But incapacitation agents are okay, right? So in this instance, think So if about, it doesn't kill you, it's okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? Yeah. So they went underground with this stuff, uh, kind of, you know, so to say underground before it was, you know, well known that this was happening. They went underground by doing this, calling it on the defensive measures. So as they went underground, just like the Nazis ended up through paperclip going underground through all the different organization, pharmaceutical companies, NASA and all these different things is where all these, you know, Nazis went underground as well. Well, that's why some people are calling this like the Fourth Reich. Mm, yeah. And here's another little disturbing data point on what we've just seen. So most countries that have the infrastructure to be able to make these agents are signatories to these treaties. There are two countries that um, don't allow inspection of their biological warfare infrastructure. China um, and USA? <laughs> close. USA is one. The USA other, and Russia? No. One more. So China, USA, but think Russia. about think think about the advantageous polymorphisms we looked at. So would it be Ukraine, Israel? Oh, Israel. Okay, fascinating. USA and Israel, the two predominant war mongering, you know, uh, nations, I guess, on Earth. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, this isn't. Um, nailed on evidence that this was uh, Israel, the country that did it. Um, but there's a, the, these are data points which people should be working with to try to make sure that what we've been through does not happen again. The surveillance biosecurity state that they're trying to implement is not pushed through. And again, you have to ask yourself, who who is benefiting from these particular social constructs, projects, engineering, social engineering, I would say. And 
um, again, the US, Israel, um, well, all of the Five Eyes nations are all beneficiaries of the um, bio-surveillance state, basically. And um, I, I would, you know, um, of course, Israel sits high up on the suspect list right now, but there are many, many countries as well that also have the capability, have the... Um, and again, I don't want to, countries is the wrong adjective to be using in this instance because there are no more countries anymore. They're essentially transnational corporations and entities that um, essentially use particular geographic reasons for strategic reasons. And can I can I ask you this? Um, what's your thoughts, though, on then on Israel being one of the most injected nations, where they were having the fourth, the fifth? Do you mm-hmm. think that may have been a lot of saline in order to show the rest of the world if we're injecting four and five, you need to all be, and they were maybe not putting the same type of um, you know uh, products into the stuff that they were injecting into their own people if not maybe just saline um now that could be one hypothesis but um what we did see is that israel was one of the first nations to be highlighting the safety signals that were coming from vaccination and the uh, and particularly myocarditis um i think that there have been many many people harmed in israel and they have an upper predatory class just like we have an upper predatory class who i think don't mind using and abusing a, a particular population to get their um their end goals and desires um it, like i say it's, it's far more complex than just thinking about um it's it's this one country it's this one group i think there are a lot of competing groups um, a lot of groups that are um, allying together to make sure that they can um, leverage the chaos that's emerged as essentially the tables have been flipped, right? And everyone's running around trying to figure out what's going on because the world as we knew it has changed radically. Over the, over the last three years, and you know, rights that we thought we had were um, taken away from us, and they're looking um, to continue down this path that we're we're headed on. And you know, for because so many people bent over and didn't actually stand up to it, people just agreed it was their military exercise. And you said that this one maybe, you know, had such a low kind of kill rate. But who knows if they can have these things that they know that aren't targeting their own species, what the next one could be that has a 50% kill rate. And knowing that maybe their own people would be a lot more safer by releasing this, you know, this could have been just the exercise that that one general that stood behind beside Trump said that this was just an exercise in, in theory to them. You know, it's all real to us what happened all of us it's been real but to the ones that kind of are pulling these strings maybe it was just an exercise to them 
Well, and also there are known um, countermeasures already in place. Now, of course, you could look at what the public were clamoring for, which is hydroxychloroquine, remdesivir, but there are more sophisticated um, interventions that were available that they knew about. Um, one is called um, peptide fusion inhibitors. And these have been understood for a long time. And these would be um, used or could be used to, again, lower the odds of you coming into contact with the pathogen and having a, a bad time of it. So you're not going to, you might just end up with just a mild cold, etc. And there's also um, other, other interventions. There's one called um, Draco. Um, it's a type of universal vaccine, essentially, that recognizes um, the emergence of double-stranded RNA that a virus has to produce as it goes through its replication cycle, and it triggers any cell that begins to develop um, these RNA structures it causes them to um essentially what's called go through apoptosis and die and so you don't you, you, the virus doesn't have a chance to replicate so there there are many many um tools and issues uh, tools and not issues um mechanisms by which you could um potentially minimize your threat and what what you're doing here is you're you're essentially playing a game of chance right and if you're in the know and you know that you can load the dice you'll get you, you're more than happy to most people would be more than happy to play those games and people who let's say swim at those upper levels you know think dark triad type personality types of course would take this type of chance because they're they're gonna benefit from the fallout and chaos that's happened and you know we've we can see the material impact of that as small businesses have been ravaged people's careers destroyed people put into bankruptcy I know personally people who have, you know, lost houses because of um, not being able to meet uh, mortgage repayments. All these, all these things happened to many, many people. And whilst that was happening, there were many within the. I don't know. I, I you know, I, to, do I think the World Economic Forum is the uh, the Bond villain here? Mm, I'm sure they. I'm sure they have some relationship but I, th they're an archetype that we can use to say that there are these people who who revel in what they think uh, or, or they revel in their own self-importance and and also if we know about them that's easy for them to give us appease us if at any point we need some people there no those aren't the ones the people at the wbf as much as people don't like that you know um 
you know, Schwab and all, you know, Harari and all them. These are just people that they can give us if at any point they need us to calm down from stuff that we found because yep. they aren't the ones pulling the strings. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the front facing, um, you know, like you go into a store, there's the people there to help you and what have you. But there are there are groups behind them who we most people have zero idea about who they are. Right. I mean, we get, you can take wild guesses about bloodline families, etc. This, this is you're not stepping into conspiracy theory anymore. Right. We've we've watched this unfurl in the last three years. And what we've seen is, is that they're um, they're looking to change fundamentally how we comport ourselves as individuals um, where we particularly in the West. The West is problematic for the goals of these people where they're looking for um, full-spectrum dominance in the surveillance domain, right? And you, know, you can get into discussions about why that would be, and look, the simple fact is is that um, there are more of us than them, and so they want to be able to have the surveillance capabilities to make sure that they can shut down um dissent and uh well um is is that why when the lockdown happened everybody had to stay home everybody businesses shut down except for 5g towers seemed to be popping up everywhere that was one thing that wasn't affected by any of the mandates any of the lockdowns it just seems like we were had little meters we went on the the native indian reserve here in canada and they said that a tower wasn't there and in the middle of the night they installed a tower onto their reservation land and they didn't know who did it they didn't know where it came from it just popped up with a fence around it in the middle of the night on their reserve and this was during when you know everything was supposed to be locked down yeah so let's um take a step back um what i would like to say is um there's there's a lot of um weaponized misinformation that's been injected into the public's mind with respect to how events and what was happening during um pandemic particularly at its peak um one of the worst ones was viruses aren't real folk closely followed by um these shots are full of graphene and 5g towers are going to be zooming in on you and manipulating uh your brain and mind because of graphene there is no graphene in these uh, files i i have done live experiments from the lab looking at Raman spectroscopy technique you need to use to identify if there is graphene oxide in the shots. Have you taken samples, though, from different parts of the world? Like, you know, like if you were getting a certain sample for a certain area, like, you know, would that be like if you're taking some from America, some from Europe, some from China and actually knowing some from Israel? Because maybe because some there has been some people that have, you know, some scientists that have taken samples and found graphene. In it. And this yeah. is only re one of the well, reasons why I'm asking that. Well, the, the scientists that are claiming that um, 
I, w I can dismiss all of their studies. There are, there's a one group who really nailed this research and they went a bit farther than I did and they did um, mass spectrometry on their samples. But my data concords with their data. There's nothing, there's no graphene in there, right? The issue that you should be concerned about is the toxic expression products that those um, vials contain. They have inflammatory lipid nanoparticles and they produce a spike protein that is cyto and neurotoxic. And yes, there are some hot batches, um, but there have been a number of, and again, I would say signal boosted by weaponized um, information networks to discombobulate the public, right? I'll name them, right? Because I've gone, I've gone after them from the beginning. That's how, that's how I sort of got into this, right? But, so you're saying just to keep everybody going in a thousand different directions to kind of keep people away from who is doing what and what is actually going on. If every, especially conspiracy theorist, every single doctor, everybody's got a different theory. Nobody really knows what's the actual truth and what's actually happening. And um, there are some major culprits out there who, uh, again, th that wasn't organic um, growth that these people had, right? Look at someone like myself, right? I've been doing this for three years. I'm shadow banned everywhere. I've been debanked. I've had everything thrown at me because I've stuck to the scientific line. However, you can get people like Andrew Kaufman, uh, I saw Carrie Madej being mentioned and her nanohydras in the um, uh, in the shots, etc. Um, all of that was nonsense, and all of those people have been signal boosted so that they receive hundreds of thousands to millions of views. They want you to think that there are nanobots in the vaccines because then you get easily dismissed. Now I can I can answer the magnetic question um, relatively, I, I think with a relatively straightforward hypothesis. Okay, but Stu Peters, Carrie Madej, Andrew Kaufman, Thomas Cowan, the Baileys. Um, well, the list goes on with respect to Brian Artis, the snake venom. Yes, yes, um, that was a massive um, intelligence controlled disinformation um, injection into the public. Now, look, are there homologies in the spike protein that are um, similar to um, venoms? Yes, yes, there are. But they're there in other um, SARS viruses as well. It's not just unique to SARS-CoV-2. And of course, having your body synthesize those toxic um, peptides is going to be problematic, right? Um, so it's you know talking about snake venom in water, etc. All of all of this was um, again amplified very very deliberately so that they can pull hundreds of thousands of people into a particular direction and they get boxed off from 
um, what would be what should be legitimate scientific discussion. And there are fundamental issues around the biology which can be discussed, which can be supported by scientific data um, that has been, for want of a better word, and for how how little it means in the scheme of things, um, peer reviewed. But there are data points that we can look at that say that's problematic okay and i would i would implore people stop listening to those um to those that they're making millions of dollars as well out of this they want this industry right like i say i've been debanked you, you try to go to my twitter i've been taken off twitter <laughs> Dozens and dozens of times you go to my Twitter account, it says sensitive content, I'm not allowed on YouTube, I've had to build my own streaming and video on demand platform just to make sure that there's information getting out there and you know it gets it gets out to um, the right people, I would say, who are um, trying to engage in this fight. Um, but it's hold that hold that thought for one sec. I'm not sure. Do you know who this Chris France is? Yes, of course. So this is your part of your community? Yep. Okay, so that's what someone was just asking. So um, he was saying, you're welcome to join our Discord. And this was, I just wanted to make it clear. And then he also had um, all of the docs videos can be found here at We uh, Talk, You Listen. Um, this is another. So I just wanted to make people clear that this is actually coming from you because there's lots of people that pop up their Telegram channels and things like that. So I wanted to make sure that it was actually linked to you before you know people started to click on it. And, you know, right now, Rumble has been somewhat, um, well, they haven't had that censorious spasm and reflex that other um, tech companies have shown. We, we, we know now that they were colluding with government agencies to shut down dissenting voices, right? And it's absolutely important that they shut down serious individuals who actually have the data and the um, knowledge to be able to address all the collusion malfeasance con and, and they've been conspiring we know that they've been conspiring but, but this has just come out in the in the last few weeks as this congressional hearing has happened and they've had to um, release their communications which show that they they fought that we were dealing with a synthetic chimera that's come out of a laboratory. There's very, very little evidence for um, direct jump from uh, host reservoir into human beings. Now, let's let's be clear about what they're doing. They're taking naturally occurring viruses. This is what I said to you when modern day biowarfare works by sampling a biome a region, a geographical region, and it, there are subtle differences everywhere in the bacteria and the in the viruses, and we're surrounded by it. They go in, they s sample these, they bring them back to the laboratory, and then they start manipulating them in such a way as to infect human-like cells and find out which are the um, most potent. And... Um, that's what we've dealt with in in the last three years. Now, whether whether it was an accident or deliberate, I'm not 
I would say looking at the highly coordinated response, the um, censorship infrastructure that was in place right from the beginning. And I know it was there in the beginning because I was trying to warn people that SARS isn't just pneumonia. It's something that will target the central nervous system. And this, again, falls into the domain of um, incapacitation agents and long-term incapacitation. So um, your friend, friends who have long COVID, um, did you tell me how long that they've been um, suffering? Um, months, like I'm not sure it's been six months. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, uh, Lori, is Mike Oso still suffering um, from it? Because I know it was maybe six months, eight months. He was going, he was at a point where he couldn't even do his work or his function. It was just, it was really bad. So I, I'm not sure if he's still, but I've heard different people that are suffering. I don't know personally um, someone, you know, but these are people online, people in our communities that I've been hearing a lot of different people that have actually been suffering from this stuff. Yeah. And um, that is the ultimate incapacitation agent. It's not chemical, not being exposed to a chemical like pepper spray and Okay, you're taken out for a few hours and your eyes burn, etc. This is, um, again, and if the epidemiological figures are correct, it's about well, anything from 10 to 30%. Um, so this has been a year for this guy. He says Mike has been doing better. He says three of four days are good now. So he still isn't better if he's not better every day. Yeah, and the issue, what you find is, is that um, and I can just speak from personal experience that you 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 mo you have to modify your behavior so that you don't um, crash, right? You don't push yourself like you would prior to exposure to these agents because then you'll crash and you'll have a few weeks where you're um, feeling rotten again, etc. And this is again, this is from a weaponeer's perspective, it's the ideal agent right it's surreptitious it's long term and the the long term impact on the body and the central nervous system actually leads to um very severe consequences so this may be a chance to sort of delve in a little bit to the um, mechanisms and this is and this is why they don't want you to talk about the toxic peptides etc that um, you're being exposed to I would put forward the argument that um, the virus itself as part of a weapon system is only so good in order to have maximal effect with these types of agents they use essentially what are binary weapon systems and the that just means and binary just means that there's another component that they can use that amplifies the effect of the virus itself and so this is this is where we get into the nature of the gene transfection technology that they've deployed against or they forced people to have it at threat of 
losing their livelihoods, basically. And that's a, that's a hard thing for people to get around when you've got mortgage payments, you've got kids, you've got, a, um, you've got all these responsibilities. And they're saying, well, if you don't take your shot, you're not coming to work. And they got millions, millions of people like that. And so what are, the, what are the mechanisms by which this long-term incapacitation can occur? There are many, okay? The, the, there's impact on the immune system itself. There's impact on the circulatory, microcirculatory system because there's a issue around something called microclots. And these microclots are an important key to understanding how this long-term incapacitation occurs because these are not normal blood clots that we're looking at. What they've found is that there's um, something called amyloid occurring, an amyloid buildup. And amyloid is a, so you can start using a bit of technical language. Um, so are you familiar with what a prion is? I've heard of it, but not, I don't know exactly what it does. So m Most people are familiar with it because of mad cow disease in the UK and also chronic wasting disease. That's and when they were feeding the cows to the cows and then the cows started to get these, this mad cow disease because they were eating their own, you know, their own meat when they're not even supposed to be meat eaters. And what they found is that there's, um, well, it's called the prion protein. And the, what happens is, is that there's a chain of events that happens. So most people can conceptualize what happens if you get a bacterial infection. I don't know, you get a infected wound on your arm or something from a scratch and bacteria get in there and I don't know, maybe you're in Ukraine and you start getting gangrene. <laughs> you know, that's that's a bacterial infection in extremis, right? People can understand somewhat that there are viral pathogens which can transfer from individuals to individuals and cause disease. But there's a mechanism of disease which is even more deeper and fundamental, right? And I don't know if I can maybe show some data for that. Would you, would you want to have No, of course. So yeah, anything that you want to bring up, this is your time and you know where I'm not, you don't have a cutoff here. So as much as information you want to share, we can spend as long as time as we can. I just wanted to mention, I talked to the next door neighbor's son who I had grown up with um, he said that his parents had taken the, the shots and uh, um, she had one of this uh, bacterial infection where they had to cut off her leg twice. Like they had to cut off and they had to cut it off again because of whatever, what was going on. So that's something I, I heard about maybe like four, four or five months ago that, you know, sh this had actually happened to her from this bacterial infection. So... Um, one of the things that we've seen, I've seen it, I've seen it up close and personal. I'm collaborating with a clinic here in Pan. Is that there is um, 
in response to gene transfection, um, there are what's called coagulopathy issues. It, it, the virus itself does the same thing. And you can get um, very large blood clots occur. Again, these are, they tend to be abnormal. They're not normal clots, right? They're, they're a combination of fibrin and platelets, but also this amyloid um, protein. And it's this amyloid protein that we have to really wrap our minds around because amyloid and amyloidosis is technically a prion. A prion means a proteinaceous infectious particle, right? And what it what happens is is that a misfolding occurs, and this was first identified with BSE, mad cow disease, um, the well, maybe I'll go through the presentation and we can... Um... Sure. I just wanted to ask a question. So with sure. the mad cow disease, they were feeding cows to the cows and they to get these prions. So lately, you know, we've been hearing about them potentially all these missing people, these missing children, you know, human meat into the McDonald's. They're putting actual... Well, that putting surprise out, me. But they're actually putting, uh, um, you know, this aborted fetal cells into the injections. So if you're injecting other humans into humans, would this potentially maybe create some of these prions? Um, in theory, yes. But I think we can, um, in these types of discussions, we need to be able to um, constrain the scientific discussion to what is essentially reproducible and publishable stick to the facts got it right and um uh, am i surprised that <laughs> corporations are feeding people back into uh not not at all doesn't doesn't surprise Seminex, me there's, there's there's a company called seminex and it's called natural flavoring so if you see on all these products that you buy all these things it says natural flavoring on it so part of this natural flavoring was the seminex company that was feeding using these you know aborted cells aborted you know humans they were feeding it as natural flavoring because it's natural but the natural was human natural opposed to other natural and they were getting away with nobody knowing what was going because it was called natural flavoring if you knew yeah there was I'm, a i think i'm familiar with that and so the um that th there is some degree of um misinterpretation that's going on there so um what they say when uh, they're using these products is they're um, th they're essentially measuring the voltage difference across the cell membrane of these cells to see how things like flavorings like glutamate affect the cell and if they get a strong response then they know that that particular chemical that they're adding as flavoring is um, is going to have a, an effect in the mouth it doesn't mean that they're putting those cells in the products. It means that those flavorings have been tested on that particular expression system. The cells aren't going to taste of anything themselves. They're just an indicator of exposure to these types of chemicals and how they respond. Now, do, do you want to be eating products that have used 
aborted um Sellers. No, 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 no. That's why I stopped eating Doritos and, you know, Pepsi and all these companies that have been linked to it. I'm doing my best not to eat any of this stuff. And I think there was a movie about it, Soylent Green or something yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you know, talk, talk, <laughs> talked about that. But again, like I, like I said, I've been in this conspiracy stuff for 30 plus years. So I've gone down every type of rabbit trail mm-hmm. there is, you know, so some of my, 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 a lot of my theories come from a lot of rabbit trail as opposed to a lot of factual evidence scientific evidence i'm not a scientist i'm just someone that have seen beyond the, the veils and have just been trying to you know rattle the cages as much as i can for 30 years for any of the stuff mm. that i've been hearing yeah and it's important to do but what i would encourage is that um it's got to be scientifically grounded and you know people going around saying that there's aborted cell lines in packets of doritos not don't quite have the full picture right but but stanley plotkin talks about actually them putting them into vaccines so when they're actually injecting you know these aborted fetal cells that's actually happening so that's not a conspiracy because he the the father of all vaccines talked about them actually Mm -hmm injecting these these aborted fetal cells or using the cell lines from they're aborted the fetal cell, the, cells yeah they're using the cell lines as um ways to um express proteins and peptides and there's contamination etc and you know there's there's an issue right now around the um mrna type vaccines where uh, a colleague of mine kevin mckernan has found um they're called plasmids and plasmids are um, sequences of genetic code which are used in an expression system to basically produce the mRNA that you're interested in that you want to inject into people and on those plasmids there's well in particular in the Pfizer there are something called there's an SV40 promoter doesn't mean the SV40 virus is in there. It means that there's a small sequence which encourages the um, gene expression machinery to target that bit of genetic code and, and spit out its products, right? And someone mentioned earlier the magnetic uh, effects that people were seeing from injections. So part of the manufacturing process in order to grab the RNA, they use something called um, spions. I forget the super paramagnetic ion nano nanoparticles is what that stands for. Highly, very very small, highly magnetic particles that are used to grab the RNA and then they're put through uh, a filtration column and hopefully the ion the spion is removed and the um, you just get the raw RNA. In the rush and scaling up of these processes, I have no doubt that there were um, spions. These nanobots, these nanobots that were they're, they're actually... They're not nanobots, they're nanoparticles. They're just small pieces of iron that are highly magnetic. Okay. okay. And um, I 
I think so, so that was real then. So people with the magnetic people potentially that that's that's seems a plausible mechanism for for why that's happening. Right? Okay, and we know that spions are part of the manufacturing process. Okay, and there's potentially contamination there, and then there's potentially. Um, contamination from the plasmids which have been used to um, by the expression system so they, they'll have cells cell lines that they put plasmids in and those cell lines make that RNA and then they try and harvest that RNA from those cell lines okay? and we've got contamination there so all, all of these contamination pathways I'm sure are um, a factor here. Do I think graphene is involved? No, I don't. Um, nothing that I've seen from any of these people who are pushing that um, stands up to scrutiny. Okay. What about the people that were listed, like uh, the thing that was going around where people were saying that they were having Wi-Fi signals or people are even like even people that are in the ground and then all of a sudden they're getting these, all of a sudden you can, they're dead, but they actually have like, yeah, you know, I these, these I, again, signals, I don't know. I don't know. No, no, no proof I of any know. of. I, I, I just think that, 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 that type of data is so easy to spoof that um, until I see everyone going to the graveyard and finding bluetooth um signals coming out I, i'm just reluctant to bite down onto that they want you to think that because then you're not thinking about the toxic peptide that they're injecting you with right so you think when we were seeing some of these videos and the, the guy he looks like a college kid and he's like look another signal look another signal these are actually staged events yeah. with actors and they come just to misinform people to get them off of the trail again like how we talked about a thousand different roads the more roads you are going down the farther away maybe you are from finding out what's really happening yeah that's very likely what's going on and and all the people and look the thing is what we've seen is people can get very emotional about these particular issues right oh god there's um they're, they're putting in nanobots and 5g is going to be controlling uh, a slave class right for one of a better zombie answer. apocalypse and all that kind of yeah, well, you know, zombies can come into this when we start looking at the effects on the central nervous system, but it's not graphene. Right? It's you have to understand the biochemistry of the peptides and the carrier vehicles like lipid nanoparticles that they're pushing into people. And again, they did it in they forced people to do it. Right. There's no there's no other way to describe it. And, you know, when you're dependent on a job and you, of course, most people will go and um, line up and take the shot because they they're thinking that it is. Oh, it's just a vaccine. Right? I've, I've had vaccines before, but no, this is different. These are gene transfection technologies that have a substantially different mechanism of action and what we know is is that they have a tendency to disperse around the body and express spike protein in other organ systems 
Like that's that's where the real problem lies. Okay, so let me um, quickly run through a presentation as I try to um, explain what this incapacitation mechanism is, or one of the mechanisms, um, which is this amyloidosis prion-like behavior that comes from exposure to either the virus or the gene transfection technology that they push into your arm. Okay, so I'll share my screen again. Sounds good. And as you're pulling that up, I'm just going to read a question. Um, can you explain why the magnets are sticking to most of the meats in the stores as well? Um, again, if they've if they've been using RNA technology, and particularly for agricultural animals, um, the quality standards are probably a little low. Again, I would look. So what people need to investigate is something called spions, S-P-I-O-N. And it's part of the manufacturing process to grab the RNA and um, filter it out from all the other um, products that you're interested in. It's possibly that. Um, you know, have, magnets don't stick to my meat. I, I, I haven't seen that. But because it's part of the manufacturing process, I'm not going to dismiss it. Okay. Um, and you're also not in the USA when there's the big target was, you know, and a lot of these things are coming out of the USA. Uh, animals, agriculture is they get 90% of the pharmaceutical sold in the world goes to agriculture until it gets injected into animals. So just imagine how many pill poppers there are, especially Americans popping three, four or five pills a day. And that only includes 10% of the pharmaceutical sold in the world. So animals are very injected. So there's a good chance that there is a lot of this especially if they're doing this mrna stuff why some of this magnetic stuff may be into the animal meat yep and i've just um co-authored a open letter to the british veterinary association just to warn about the potential issues around using mrna technology so let me share my screen Good discussion here. Wow. That's uh, really happy to be chatting with you here and being able to share your brain here with uh, and your findings with all the people on. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, um, Twitter, and Rumble right now. Um, our, our LinkedIn got cut for some reason. Uh, we weren't, we're not on LinkedIn right now, but uh, we're on a lot of different places. And then we're going to be uploaded to BitChute, Telegram, Odyssey, and then Dollar Vigilante TV also picked up our show. So we're going to get this out to as many places as possible. Well, um, like I say, I try and do a stream every day, and um, I'm, I'm happy to network with people like i say we've built our architecture for streaming etc and maybe we can talk after the um sure the stream is done so this is this is a presentation that i give i gave last time i was in the united states um we we're talking about censorship and um i want to uh talk about how it's a fingerprint for what friend of mine um, maybe people know him. Uh, he he's, writes under the pseudonym of Spartacus. 
he coined the term neuro warfare. So um, are we seeing a fingerprint of next gen neuro warfare in the um, years that we're, we've been through the last three and a half years. So I'm just, I'll go through, we can skip all this because that's all my details, etc. I, I want to give a shout out to um, Charles Rixey. He's done a lot of work in the background. He's a WMD um, specialist from the United States Marine Corps. And, um, well, he actually he could have joined us today. Maybe, maybe we can do another stream where we have Charles. Of course. You're more than welcome to come on here with you and your people as much as possible. I love real factual stuff, especially because, like I said, my brain has been in the conspiracy stuff down every road for so many years that when it comes to real hard evidence of what's actually going on, this is really important stuff. So let's look at this from um, a censorship perspective. So there's a number of scenarios that we can look at. To natural spillover from bats to pangolins to raccoon dogs etc spontaneous phenomenon um potentially lab origin meaning someone had an accident in the lab and when this first started that was my presumption lab accidents happen all the time we know that there have been releases of uh, pathogens over the decades including sars and releases have also happened during the last um three years from labs working with these pathogens. So it does happen. And then the other scenario is a potentially deliberate release. And that puts us into another, um, we have a saying in English, kettle of fish. Um, all right, so uh, who could be responsible? So non-state actors, uh, ideologically driven, state actors, China, USA, NATO, Israel, as we discussed earlier. And um, this is just to indicate that there's you can go and find the paper trails for the countries that are blocking access to their biowarfare programs. This one from the British Medical Journal saying US rejects biological weapons convention protocol. This happened after 9-11, um, if you remember the anthrax attacks. And what they found was that as they tried to blame it on um, those Iraqis and Saddam Hussein, uh, the anthrax that had been released was Fort from... Dietrich. Fort Dietrich, yes, Amerifrax. Um, mm -hmm. The other country I mentioned, of course, is Israel. Um, Israel certainly has the infrastructure capable of making pathogens like this, and they... Um, they are not a signatory, and um, basically the Israeli government operates an extensive and sophisticated biodefense program. It has not made public pronouncements on its biological weapons policy, nor signed a biological weapons convention, which is widely interpreted as an indication that Israel has some offensive capabilities. Israel has taken steps to strengthen its export control on dual-use biotechnologies. Um, again, uh, I don't. I don't want to say oh, it's, it's the Jews all the time, but th th there are um, indicators in the evidence that you know point to potential groups that we should be looking at very, very closely, and not being afraid of um, being targeted. You will be targeted. Look at what they did to RFK in the last few weeks, as he mentioned the 
published scientific papers which show that there are these um, advantageous polymorphisms with respect to different racial groups. And couple that with the fact that um, these they have a safe space in which to um, develop these um, these agents. And of course, um, let's not forget that the Chinese are also also have advantageous polymorphisms with respect to SARS. And it did come out of it appears to have come out of China. So of course, everyone's familiar with this. Um, Institute now, Wuhan Institute of Virology. You should be familiar with um, this uh, sad and just sad on multiple levels, um, spiritually um, as well. This is a Peter Dayzak, part of EcoHealth. Um, Scumbag. Yeah, he's um, it's essentially a front for um, CIA um, defense industries and... Um, went to extraordinary lengths to subvert the scientific process to protect the people who um, have been part of this biowarfare medical countermeasures industry. Um, here's another one that people should be familiar with, Metabiota. Um, the guy on the left, standing next to Ghislaine Maxwell, um, is a guy called Nathan Wolf. Um, guy on the left, we don't see a... We just see Peter Daszak still. Oh, okay, there we go. Yeah. Um, and uh, he wrote a book called Viral Storm. Um, in, in his acknowledgments, uh, he lists um, Jeffrey Epstein. So these groups, these front cutout groups, have direct links to people that we know um, subvert and are engaged in the most heinous behaviors as part of the defense industries right intelligence industries cia Mossad, mi6 all, all those organizations they're all linked and of course we have the man himself any fauci and then of course we have the um, medical countermeasures which were forced onto people and those countermeasures essentially were being controlled by organizations like DARPA, DITRA and uh, they were all engaged in gain-of-function research, dual-use dual research of concern and of course throwing money um, it becomes a very very toxic mix. So um, we've spoken a little bit about um, race specificity and incapacitate, incapacitating agents what I want to talk about is weaponized pre-energic mechanisms. This is, this is, I think, the fundamental yeah, mechanism of the weapons that they're using against you. It's, the, it's what's causing the long polar states, the long COVID states. And it leads to, after many years, neurodegenerative states. So um, what does the literature say about um, biowarfare agents and um, prion-like uh, agents? Well, this is a recent article, Handbook on Biological Warfare and Preparedness. Um, 
its classified agents with respect to the severity that they have, but no mention of prions here in this, you know, there's there's not many journals uh, that are circulating with respect to biowarfare, etc. Um, and so, oh, we can perhaps forget what it is that we're we're dealing with. Oh, sorry, but actually, if you delve deeper into the literature, you can find um, there is discussion about prions. And uh, I'll read this abstract for you. So the knowledge of biotechnology increases the risk of using biochemical weapons for mass destruction. Prions are unprecedented infectious pathogens that cause a group of fatal neurodegenerative diseases by a novel mechanism. They're transmissible particles that are devoid of nucleic acid. Due to their singular characteristics, prions emerge as potential danger since they can be used in the development of such weapons. Prions cause fatal infectious diseases and to date there is no therapeutic or prophylactic approach against these diseases. Furthermore, prions are resistant to food preparation treatments such as high heat, can find their way from the digestive system into the nervous system. Recombinant prions are infectious either bound to soil particles or in aerosols. Therefore, lethal prions can be developed by malicious researchers who could use it to attack political enemies since such weapons cause diseases that could be above suspicion. Again, this is the ambiguity aspect and the dangers that come from these types of mechanisms. They're very, very hard to pinpoint. And, you know, it wasn't so long ago you go to the doctor with a... Um, a post-viral syndrome, ME-CFS, and you would um, get dismissed. It's all in your head. And that's not the case. We're, we're learning a lot more about these, um, about these disease states. Does that make sense? Um, just interject any time if you have a question. Totally. I, I do have... I do have uh, so Sunny here from our YouTube channel um, says, Kevin, are prions linked to muscular dystrophies? So... Um, there's a whole slew of neurological neuromuscular disorders that can emerge. Okay. Now, as a sort of spoiler alert, well, not spoiler alert, but what I want you to think about is that prions, these um, infectious particles, they can be caused by viral peptides so you can think about the virus spike protein as having like a imagine a cookie cutter on it and it's able to interact with other peptides and force them into this shape which causes them to become infective okay this this is how you've got to think of it this the Peptides within the virus and the spike protein itself can cause proteins to misfold and those proteins carry on a disease process even after the viral proteins have been cleared. Wow. That makes sense? Yeah, so this was his comment when we first started the stream. So he said, Kevin, I'm 42 at age five. So 30, you know, seven years ago, I was diagnosed with neuromuscular disease, a form of muscular dystrophy. I can no longer walk. Is this a result of a bioweapon damage? What is the origin of gene mutation? Um, so muscular dystrophy, 
um, has a strong genetic component? Has he been tested for um, the DYST gene? Uh, I'm not sure. So maybe if you can tell us, Sonny, and we can keep going. My question was, with these prions not targeting, you know, the Ashkenazis and other, you know, people um, as much, um, the actual vaccine was created from a genetic code from China. They gave them the genetic code in order to create these vaccines. So with that genetic code, so now if people are injecting this, you know, this disease or this, you know, COVID-19 or whatever it is that's in these injections, this mild version of it, does that also affect the people being injected then a lot less than it would be to some of those other ones that you had had a higher, you know, prion uh, rate? Um, in theory, yes. And again, you know, the, the, the problem with biology is, is that it, it tends to be somewhat messy at the edges. So, um, are, are Ashkenazi at less risk from the effects of the spike protein in their body, whether it's synthetic or from the virus itself? Theoretically, mm -hmm. yes. Um, but it doesn't mean wow. that they're not going to be um, hurt by them. It's just mm -hmm. it, it, a game. Again, it's a, a game of chance, right? So right. if you know that there's going to be release of an agent, you take um, appropriate countermeasures. Uh, you avoid crowds. You avoid places where you're going to get infected. You take the um, known countermeasures which are available um you know i mentioned hydroxychloroquine and uh, ivermectin but there are more sophisticated ones like peptide fusion inhibitors and um techniques like draco and that's i wanted to mention fascinating name because in the conspiracy world some of these people these ashkenazis are maybe even draco reptilians that's <laughs> what they call them they call them dracos so that's fascinating that that's the name that they came up with uh well you know it stands for double-stranded rna caspase oligomerizers i think that's the, the the full name for them and um you know whether whether that was deliberate and... it, was, it was deliberate 100 percent guaranteed okay. that wasn't that there's no way that that could be such a correlation to what's kind of being passed around right now you know because that's big in the conspiracy world is these dracos that are behind all this stuff okay well in this in this instance draco is just a um countermeasure like a like yeah, a vaccine basically but it's a universal vaccine for um rna type viruses so things like flu sars etc um uh, whether it's uh <laughs> lizards i don't know <laughs> maybe they were telling that that's their subliminal way to anybody that was draco saying go get this draco because that's what we uh, we had named this thing because you said it this one is a, a beneficial one um yes draco well so there's a funny story around draco in that um it, it was developed i want to say you know in, in the early part of the 21st century in, in the 2000s to 2014 and um the guy was unable 
to get funding for it. And it was sold to a company in New Zealand just prior to the pandemic. And then that got picked up by another company and no one's heard anything about it since. So whether they really got it tuned up and working, I don't know. I don't know. All all I'm doing is putting out what can be verified. So you can go and look for Draco as a technique. And um, there's plenty of lectures from it. It looked a very promising technology. And again, if you if you know that uh, you've got the heads up that something like this is going to be released, um, let's say that you have the scientific capability to engineer in these um, amino acids such that your polymorphisms are protective and you stack all these elements together then you're going to be more comfortable with their use and that's the problem with weapons of this type the more the more you lower the threshold towards where there can be harm the easier they'll get deployed okay so any 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 more questions or should i no, yeah, you can keep going. I just wanted to say that just before in that 2019, Obama ended up buying property in New Zealand. So some of these big players were going to New Zealand, buying property, thinking that that may be a safe haven. So it's interesting how some company out of there, when money was being poured in there, maybe bought that, you know, and then maybe just, you know, used it on the people in their deep state. Actually, again, I, I'm, I, I can't really... This is speculation. Yeah. yeah. And look, prior to the um, outbreak, um, there was a mass exodus of CEOs from these from large companies. Um, go, go and check that. I'm not going to pull it up right now. But, yeah, um, you know, they cashed in and uh, dropped out. And went underground, went away, went away from the population, went away from work. A lot of in the conspiracy world, in the Q world, they were arrested. They were, you know, cloned. They were, you know, taken out. So that's kind of how that attention got taken away from maybe they knew what was coming up and then, you know, left their companies. But a lot of people believe that they were arrested and they're in, they're in Gitmo right now. And, uh, you uh, know, yeah, these- I, I don't think they're in Gitmo. I just think they're living off, um, you know, the ill-gotten gains and um, watching as these systems are being implemented and put into place. Those, those people at that level, they're not going to be um, subject to the, mechanisms that are being lined up right now which is the qr code tyranny that well which is the next phase which is the next potential phase of of what that they're on their own little private islands underground bunkers wherever they potentially are but they are not in the populace anymore because they cashed out and headed out to somewhere safe and they aren't going to need the um vaccine certificates that's still on the list of uh goals for these people for travel etc it's um it's all very dystopian and you know the uh, this just goes back to um my disgust at 
scientists and people with the technical know-how should have been speaking up to what we're what we're seeing here and yes you see people talking about the um the biosurveillance state etc but there's a um sense of denial about the type of weaponry that has been deployed and this is why i'm going to walk you through the um issue of uh prions and what they potentially mean at a population level okay so on the next screen now i don't know what your sort of limits are but this is like medical video looking at canonical prion like disorders um this one is uh kuru but there's some nudity in this um clip you just do whatever and i deal with the repercussions um we are on youtube but i i actually just put it on private afterwards or delete it that's the only one the rest of them we seem to haven't been having any issues but you just you just do your you do you and uh, i'll deal with any repercussions but hopefully the movie still works so um kuru is one of the first human prion disorders that we identified um it was in uh guinea i want to say but um don't quote me on that one in particular but what you can see here that what they would do is eat the brain of uh people who died in the tribe right? it was a form of cannibalism and they call it the laughing disease because they they would um, sort of laugh uncontrollably but what you what you're looking at is someone who's developing a lot of um, motor abnormalities and ticks ticks yeah dystonia um, myoclonic um, yeah, you can think of them as ticks and um, there's there's a well categorized process that we now know is occurring in the brain of someone who develops kuru right um, so this is direct correlation from them eating cannibalistic eating brains and yes. eating like how we talked about mad cow disease prions people eating humans prions so yep. what about these like in the conspiracy where you talk about these people drinking adrenochrome adrenochrome is a big thing drinking the blood adrenal blood um would they be getting these prions then um the, the thing about adrenochrome i think that's probably a little bit of a, a myth it's dead easy to make adrenochrome Right, you don't need to um, eat people to get it. Um, so I'm less convinced about that. You can just take an EpiPen and uh, squirt it onto a dish, leave it for 12 hours, and you'll get a whole bunch of adrenochrome. Um, it's not a. It's not. Again, I think it's one of those things to pull people down a particular rabbit hole. Um, hmm. Do, look, uh, are there sick people who engage in all types of um, sick ritualistic behaviors? Yeah, I'm pretty sure of that. Um, are they abusing children? Yes, for sure. And uh, I'm, my own personal view is, is that I think that as you climb, well, let's say the corporate ladder, right? because it seems to operate around corporations, um, they need to know who they can bring into their inner circles. Mm -hmm. And 
you know if you're if that next position and pay rise and um climb up the greasy pole involves you engaging in some ethically and morally dubious behavior then yeah you you're going to be you're going to be rewarded in the the material domain let's put it that way that's why they say the narcissistic ones are the ones that are go to the CEOs, the ones that have no empathy towards others and to the gravitating either politics or CEOs. Yeah, dark, in order triad. For them. Yeah. dark, dark triad personality um, disorders. I've done a stream about that. If people want to look for it on my Rumble channel um, about just what it, um, what that means from a neuroscience perspective. So, um, Kuru was one of the first categorized disorders with respect to understanding that there was this prion-like mechanism, a, a disease mechanism that's even smaller and, and more difficult to track than uh, viral disorders or viral pathogens. So then uh, jump forward and um, we had this emerge in the UK. I don't know you have sound or not so oh uh, yeah there should be sound uh, there would have been a thing that it clicks on but uh um it's usually always clicked on so you can play it and i'll tell you if i can hear it okay mysterious no i can't All hear right, anything right so now. uh how do i stop sharing? so you would start you would see yeah, so you would stop the stream um you know exit the stream share and then start it again but there's a little um there's a little box that needs to be ticked would be share audio as well so when you present present and then share screen at the bottom left there's share tab audio so that little box should be clicked on for the audio to come through as well yeah system audio Yeah. Mysterious brain disease is threatening the country's cows. Scientists don't know what's causing it or where it came from, but they are worried. So far, nearly a hundred cows have had to be slaughtered before the disease kills them. 32 years ago, scientists reported a new disease on a farm in Wiltshire. The disease that we found was... And I'll just add... Um farm on Wiltshire that was just down the road from Porton Down. Porton Down is uh, the UK's um, Fort Dietrich, if you like. Um, not saying they did it, I'm just saying it's one of those uh, one of those kahinkydinks. It's really a sad, sad world that we live in that they're altering things so much away from God. Like, you know, why they're yep. feeding meat to animals where animals aren't supposed cows are not supposed to be eating genetically modified soy and corn and all these meat and what they're doing and then that obviously has an effect on people that are eating those animals like it just that you cannot not have an effect on people when they start manipulating what's supposed to be natural yep and you know my my advice for people is um 
you know, you've got to step out of it and non-compliance is the way forward, right? You, to, all, all they're trying to do is contract with you, trick you into contracts that you, um, that push you in a particular direction. And it's very subtle how they do it. And um, it's just, you've got to be aware of it and you've got to be able to say no when they start um, instituting um, changes, societal changes, and they say um, it's the law. In actual fact, in, in um, especially the Anglosphere, these aren't laws, they're acts and statutes. And acts and statutes are all contracts. Okay, so contract and you contract with them. You actually, as much as they try to force people into this, you they're not sending the army to your door, you're actively participating in those contracts. So now that you mentioned that, what's your thoughts on the movie The Sound of Freedom? Um, you know, coming out the way it is. Uh, some people believe that the reason why they're doing that is they're putting the fear into the consciousness about some things that can happen to your children in order for the people to be more okay with them tracking and tracing their own children, putting these chips, track and trace chips, because look at what's happening. Look how many kids are going missing. And that's why this was released opposed to, you know, trying to stop what, you know, this this horrific you know industry of, of, of you know child uh, pedophilia potentially I, I mean as far as i'm concerned in the current environment um all things should remain on the table um as as we do the threat assessment to decide how to move forward um you know chips and tracking devices are um They're part of the primary thrust for full-spectrum surveillance. And I would encourage most people to um, try to say no. Look, all of us walk around with tracking devices anyway with your cell phone. Um, and even one step further, even before that, the, what, what do you have on your debit card? Yeah. There's... Um, debit debit card credit cards those are all tracker and tracers yeah um all those digital currencies they're all here with us already and that's that's not real money that's being but you know they're not sending envelopes of cash when you settle your um credit card bill at the end of the month it's all electronic mm -hmm. right and yes are they likely to put controls on that i have no doubt um part of that may be just because of the way that um, industry is just going to change through automation, right? Um, the jobs which, you know, if you've seen some of the robot technology they have right now, just with respect to harvesting crops, it's incredible. Um, you know, computer vision, deep learning, um, pretty much everything can be done robotically. And, you know, who cares about whether we need people to pick crops, right? Um, but when you start getting into the, what would be, I don't know, the middle-class professional domains, literally in the last few months, all of those jobs are now at risk, right? 
ChatGPT can code pretty well, right? Um, Advertising, graphic design, web design, all yeah. of these technical jobs are basically coming obsolete where artificial intelligence is no longer needing the human slaves. Yep, yep. Um, in the In the mind of Klaus Schwab and his uh, acolytes, they need some form of control over you still. They can't have sovereign human beings suddenly looking up from the Rube Goldberg debt traps that they built for you and um, realizing that it's, it's a fictive system there for control measures. And so you know, the world changes, okay? It's inherent in the evolutionary trajectory of um, mankind, the universe, etc. And it's just, we have to be able to have a say in how these new systems are implemented. And right now, we're not doing very well in the bargaining process, is what I would say. Not enough people are aware of what's happening and the tools that these people have. And if they are aware, not enough people with balls are standing up against any of this stuff because it seems like more and more people are aware, but a lot of people lost their balls. Look, it's tough, man. You stand up. I can tell you, they'll debank you. That's what they did to me. They'll censor you. They'll do everything to try and um, silence Hin you. Hinder progress. Subtly, they do attacks on computers. There's all kinds of things that do happen. But, you know, at your case, they and they, they debanked um, Joseph Merkola and Aaron Elizabeth. Um, they've been, a, you know, firm against all this stuff that's going on. Um, they've been debanked by, I believe it was uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and yep. all of their employees as well. So not only the people running the companies, anybody that was working for them as well got debanked. Mm. Yeah. And um, in a way, I'm glad that they got debanked. Someone like myself who just doesn't have the public profile, it's easy to debank me. Right. Um, people with bigger profiles, um, you know, perhaps people can understand what systems are coming into play. But the problem is when they do that, a lot of people don't want to get debanked. Right? It's uh, it's bloody difficult to operate in the 21st century environment when your um, your ability to pay, you know, the contracts that you do agree to um, be becomes taken away from you and again like i say not not many people are prepared to stand up and take that type of heat and the frustrating part is is that there, there are all the limited hangouts that push nonsense that they don't get debanked right um it's only those that actually really cause a problem to the system now, my question is, and we talked about some of these other doctors that you had mentioned before that have been taking things like the snake venom or, you know, the graphene oxide or different things. Do you think that 
this is like obviously controlled op, but do you think it's them just trying to figure out what's going on? They find their own little findings in through these conspiracies and run with it? Or do you think in a lot of these instances with a lot of these doctors, they're actually, you know, just another actor in this game told to, you know, put this theory out or could it be some that way or some you know actually involved in this elaborate scheme oh, it's a tough question um look i think that many of the doctors that we see talking right now particularly in what's become termed the medical freedom movement um i think many just have you know they saw what's happening to the system and they've tried to stand up i want to, i want to believe that the pro I, here's my problem though that you get many many people realize and step into that space around medical freedom and the um risks around these new technologies being rolled out and essentially being mandated and you having to have some degree of electronic track and trace to show that you're conforming to it, right? Um, the problem is, is that these people stop there. They won't step into the biowarfare domain. And because that's where the real pressure starts to begin to be applied. Mm -hmm. And there's not enough people talking about biowarfare, or the, or the people that are talking about biowarfare are retards like Stu Peters and other you know again that these are people that have boosted platforms designed to um seed people with you know they get a bit of truth and then they stick in something that's complete nonsense like there's nano hydras in there that's going to uh, again create a you know 5g responsive network that will turn you into a robot <laughs> and that's very very frustrating for me to see that um do you think they're also doing that too in order to find out who is be believes those type of things so they're finding out who is easily um you know led down dangling carrot or the ones that are you know the shit disturbers shit causers are they making lists are they you know is this part of this whole scheme to figure out where everybody fits in this you know uh, indoctrinated you know propagated world um maybe again of course you know they're they're building databases and um tracking who's doing what what and where and you know looking for potential um troublemakers you're you're um again you're, you're dealing with a predator class that knows they're outnumbered massively one one million to one is some of the figures that are people are talking about i would i would bet it's even more than that um but with the, their minions the but the surveillance is key to what it is that they're pushing here. You're not going to be able to do anything unless you comply to their diktats. 
and you know if we're stepping into this automated world um they're going to change you know that money is a it's an operational mechanism that allows exquisite control over people when you have control of it and they will use and abuse that through you know digital currencies you don't have a job but you can get a universal basic income but you must comply to their diktats and a lot of that i think will will be um implemented through the medical system and you know i often talk about that in the previous century when we were dealing with bolshevism um the, the reason that that didn't work is that it was too um combative between the groups involved right the the proletariat wanted to be to climb up right that there's a human desire to um become climb climb the ladder yeah to become middle class to to get into the managerial positions and and it 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 pitched too many people against each other to have a workable system what they've cottoned onto is that um if you want a full spectrum dominance system like the communist system was aiming for the way to do it is through the medical system because everyone virtually and unless you know unless you can afford your own personal physicians and hospital etc have to have to engage with the medical system some at some point right it's mm -hmm. vir virtually impossible that you, you you go through your life and you're not um you don't need some medical help and that's the system that they will use for um for this surveillance and that's what we're seeing being implemented right now have you heard of communitarianism yes i have um so that's the mix between capitalism and communism saying so, you know if the needs of the many outweigh your own personal rights but in a capitalistic way so they kind of hide the communism through capitalism yep. calling it communitarianism yeah and it's it's uh, an assertion of the individual sovereign rights to the common good common good ethics overrides everything and um i i'm vehemently against that type of thinking because that's still just collectivism it becomes the um an implementation of i wouldn't say mob rule technocratic rule in this particular instance and um you you should be very very wary of anything that a system like that has planned for you so let's continue keep, on with them. yeah let's keep exploring um prions okay so sounds, the, sounds the, the history it's important to understand the history what it is that we're dealing with okay spongiform encephalopathy or bse mad cow disease it was clearly different from most viruses that we were familiar with this is no ordinary infection some scientists believe that it breaks some of the laws of nature as we know them and thus may be a novel form of life 
the cattle were clearly neurologically disturbed. They became erratic in behavior, a lot of trembling, not being able to walk steadily. Gradually, the nervous system degenerates. The brain becomes a bit like a sponge in appearance. And, and death inevitably ensues. With new cases coming in at a rate of over 200 a week, no one disputes it is a dangerous disease. Scientists have never discovered where BSE came from, but within a year, it had swept across the country. Already, BSE has spread to more than 50 herds in 14 counties. We went from the odd isolated case to as many as almost a thousand cases a week. So that just gives you an idea of um, how, in an uncontrolled... Sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say, but it wasn't a spreadable disease. It was them feeding meat to the animals that were yes. causing this to happen. It wasn't like one cow sneezed on another cow and, you know, they all started spreading these these diseases. It was just what they were being in, in, ingested with. Yes, this, this is an important um, distinction to keep in mind. And we'll see how it's evolved to where it's possible to spread prions through viral proteins right remember i explained the cookie cutter analogy yeah right and this is as i go through the presentation we'll, we'll sort of get a look at the the science behind that so um here you can just see these are just images of the brain um this is uh kreutzfeldt yakov disease and um you know he talked about spongy brain and he, i don't know if you can see my cursor but you know holes in yeah. the brain are um, one of the key features it's not so clear in the uh, bse brain there but um if we go to the next slide um there's an important um data point here where so if you can see where my cursor is here okay that look like sort of um, constellations or, or stars I don't know how to describe that or fibrils can you see can you see that and they're sort of mm -hmm. circular in um, appearance right these are um, amyloid deposits that occur in the um, Kreutzfeldt-Jakob or bovine spongiform encephalopathy type brains. So not only do you get the spongiform appearance, you get this what's called amyloidosis. And so there are what we now understand is that um, there are many peptides that can become and act like the canonical prion protein. So just to give you uh, some more, throw more data at you. So um, prion protein was the first one to really be classified. And what they found was that um, it's, so in scientific vernacular, we, we talk about the conformation, meaning the shape of a molecule or a protein. And what happens is, is that there's a change where in the normal protein, you have something called alpha helices, which just means that the amino acids basically form spirals as part of the structure of the protein to maintain its functional properties. 
and what happens in the um, prion protein, uh, which they call the scrapey protein because scrapey was well sheep scrapey have been known for a long time for centuries right and so they and that's a prion disorder and what happens is is that the alpha helices that are there in the normal protein turn to what are called beta pleated sheets and basically just think of them as the amino acids lining up and making um flat sheets that are essentially you can think of them as being um hydrophobic almost they don't like water and so what they do is is they tend to aim for similar proteins and that causes the misformation of the next protein and it forms a cascade it's called a preenergic cascade and so that's why it accumulates in the brain. So they eat this, the cows would eat this stuff, digest it, you know, go through the system, it gets into the bloodstream, and then it would attach into the brain because it would be similar to its structure. That's where it would start to deposit would be into the brain. So uh, what you're talking about could be described as what's called the hematogenous route, which is it gets into the blood and somehow crosses the blood brain barrier. Um, what we think is one of the more important mechanisms is that where these preenergic peptides emerge, a lot of the time is in the gut. And these peptides are able to travel along nerve fibers such that they reach the brain that way. Um, wow. And so in the last sort of 10 years, what we've come to understand in the neuroscience domain is that conditions like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, um, there's a Lewy body dementia, the, the list goes on, that all of these conditions are essentially prion-like disorders. You so how is there accumulation of metals? Like, because a lot of these disease diseases are, you know, associated with, you know, a lot of metals being accumulated into the brain. Yep. So um, there are things called metalloproteinases, which hold um, metals as part of their um, functional structure. And um, environmental exposure can often cause these metalloproteinases to substitute one metal for another. Um, hmm. That causes um, a change in the conformation, deposits of metals, etc., and the charge on the metals can cause, um, again, these deformations in the peptides to turn them into prion propagons. Okay, and this is a disease mechanism now that we see across a whole spectrum of neurodegenerative disorders. So, like at one extreme end you have Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. And then you can think of things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, then, um, you know, I could list them off, but... No, know, no so, we, we get it. So some, are more, some are more serious and aggressive than others, but the underlying mechanism is the same, which is this, mm. a protein misfolds, it becomes what's technically called a propagon, which I'm showing here, and then these propagons spread 
and start causing the accumulation of um, misfolded protein. And what we're going to see is that um, SARS and the spike protein itself can cause this misfolding. And this misfolding process is, I would argue, the, the start of the neurodegenerative state. So you could think of it as accelerated aging. So someone in their 20s who prior to getting infected or having an adverse reaction to gene transfection, etc., suddenly finds themselves a few weeks later unable to think because of brain fog, the joints and muscles ache, etc. That's, that, that's because this process has started in the brain, this protein misfolding process, and there's inflammation in the brain, and they, they, they synergistically work together um, to induce these states. So, oh, you're going to ask a question? We have a question from the audience here, um, says, um, have they measured membrane fluidity in the impacted brain cells from the prions disease? Um, I'm not sure I understand the question. Membrane fluidity, meaning how stiff um, cell membranes are when, um, when the prions are building up. Yeah, I'm, the only thing I can get is how if the, if the that membrane, that blood-brain barrier, if the fluidity people with the prions disease, if somehow, you know, there's something, you know, maybe the the blood-brain barrier so is often, is, often there, is are, there there are blood-brain barrier um, dysfunctions in in these states, and whenever whenever you start getting inflammation, um compartment barriers can become leaky and part of the reason for that is that they um, they need the signaling cytokines in order to mount a um, a response to a uh, pathogen or um, prion isn't really a pathogen in the um, canonical sense but it's still a disease causing agent and so um you know you there's a reason why you feel ill when you get exposed to pathogens it's your immune response trying to deal with it okay problem is is that these prion like disorders are very very difficult to control and contain and it's very likely that what we're dealing with is a weaponized form of viral peptides designed to cause immune dysregulation and protein misfolding. Okay. So, again, I want to just emphasize prions as bioweapons. Um, pay attention to this particular individual, James Giordano. Um, so, much ado about nothing or app concerns over tiny proteins used in biowarfare. So, it's, this is something that these entities and organizations have been thinking about for quite some time. And it's known that you can aerosolize prion protein and you can infect people in a room via aerosol okay, with the prion protein itself. The problem is, is that the prion protein doesn't make 
um, as you said, you have to sort of consume it, right, and bring it into the body in order for it to have its pathological effects, right? So, if but if you can find a way that you can have a replicating aerosolizable contagion that can induce protein misfolding, suddenly we're in a very, very different world. Dangerous world. Yeah. Now, how far can that be? So now say, you know, if you were in a building and they sprayed it through the air ducts, you're kind of, you know, more concentrated. Would that be the same if there was planes spraying in the sky and they sprayed mass amounts of this stuff? Could that eventually come down and be breathed or, you know, would its structure through the air and things like that, that that maybe potentially couldn't have an effect if they yeah, were actually spraying it? So you, you, you can let your imagination run wild in this particular instance. So what have we seen over the last couple of years? Oh, they can they can take um, these gene transfection technologies and have you express their peptides. Right, that they want you to express, and of, of course you could put that in a um, deliverable vehicle. So there are things called um, armored lipid nanoparticles, etc., and you can you can aerosolize them via um, plane, etc., injection into air conditioning systems. Um, all these all these avenues are open and. Again, once you've received uh, an infective dose, th it becomes very, very difficult to define or, or, or say what the illness is. You'll present with ME CFS-like conditions and the prodromal, meaning the, the state before over neurodegenerative disorders um, can be clinically recognized. In, in that process to get to where you're suddenly shaking with Parkinson's and you've got movement disorders, there's a whole range of basically feeling out of sorts. You don't feel good. You don't have energy. You, again, your joints and muscles ache. You've got brain fog, all these things. And that is the incapacitation component. And it can last years and years and years. One more question from the audience from Arthur Card says, uh, Jesse asked Kevin to address the viruses don't exist grifters. Um, that's basically how I got into this talking publicly about um, all these issues and getting essentially finding myself in this horrible environment in which I'm having to discuss how we as human beings are developing this, are weaponizing this technology and weaponizing this biology in conjunction with this next generation computing surveillance. Um, all those people who say that viruses don't exist, um, I've argued with them, etc. There is ample evidence that um, the genetic material and the emergence of viruses etc cause disease you can take that sample from one specimen 
and infect another. We've done this in primates. We've done it in, we've even done challenges in human beings with SARS. Um, these are replicable findings and their objection to the fact that you may be looking at exosomes, etc. Um, and they're essentially asking for um, an impossibility that in the process of doing a um, infection investigation and looking for the cytopathic effect, that you're able to clear out all other biological debris. So nothing else exists apart from the virus, and then you're able to take that virus and infect another tissue with it. Um, in biology, right? try to get 100% pure alcohol. You can do it, but it's incredibly expensive versus alcohol that's 99.9%. In biology, you, you, you're dealing with such complex systems that you're always going to find some traces of some peptides and some, some proteins that are um, confounds in your data. The problem is, is that or, or the problem for the no virus people is that the technology has moved on and what we're able to do nowadays is something called nanopore sequencing and what they what their their complaint is is that the current technology next generation sequencing chews up any of the genetic material and then relies on computer algorithms to reconstruct the viral genome but not just that it's also the virus isolation process right once they take that sample and then they take it out they centrifuge it they add cow bovine they add monkey livers they do all these things in order to poof voila come virus because we've actually had a debate on here virus germ theory you know we've had a few doctors here that are you know trained theory so i've coming out of non-scientific, just coming out of view that I'm just looking at this in all angles, but it seems like the virus isolation theory is a corrupted process in itself. Well, um, again, this comes down to the technology that you're able to deploy to try to find um, the pathological agent, okay? And the checkmate move right now is that they've developed a technique called nanopore sequencing. And instead of relying on um, centrifuging out the, um, the viral particles and trying to um, pipette them out and look at them under an electron microscope and then say, ah, oh, look, we've got something that looks like viruses. You still do that. But what you're able to do is you're able to just take a sample from someone who's got or carrying the pathogen and these these techniques now essentially are able they don't cut the genome up they're able to pass them through like it says nanopore and it gives you essentially an electrical readout of the amino acids that you're seeing so you get the whole of the amino acid sequence of a virus going through this nanopore and you can distinguish it from other known RNA and DNA sequences that we spend a lot of time um, accruing libraries of. 
So, but they're not mixing animal with, you know, human in order to get the findings, because I think that that's a big part of the corruption process. If you're having to interject this cow bovine, if you're monkey livers, if you're mixing the the human and the animals, you know, you're going to get this kind of, you know, weird results from it. Yeah, um, I understand the objection. In nanopore sequencing, you do not do that. Okay. Take the body fluid, you run it across the cell. And it pulls out all the genetic material that's in there. Okay, and good to know. If you have, if you present with symptoms, I don't know, let's think of a really concrete example. Rabies, right? Um, so you present with symptoms. So that's part of the investigative process. What set of symptoms do you have? Then you take the sample you can run a bunch of tests for it and you know not normally at the clinical level they'll do pcr for example and that will um say that we see um markers for this particular virus right but if you really really want to investigate and determine what's in there you can use nanopore and you'll get the full sequence of the rabies genome and then you can compare it to the other methods and they all converge on the same answer, which is that there are discrete pathogens and not just viruses. You, you, it, you've, people have got to understand that there's an operational layer below that with things like prions. Right. So even even peptide pieces of peptide can become disease causing agents. You think those cows that are falling over and showing all movement disorders and um, emotional um, pathologies, you think they're making it up? When well, no, they were obviously poisoned, right? Well, they've been exposed to um, prion-like agents. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is a distinct disease process. And, you know... Of course, we're always limited by the the tools that we have available to us. But particularly in the last 10, 20 years, the tools have got very, very sophisticated. And they've they've supported the, um, the previous generation's work. That there are these particles, there are these um, pathogens, there are these bacteria, etc., that do cause disease. And yes, look... Terrain theory is important. You want, want, you want to survive what's coming in the next few years? You've got to be as healthy as possible. You've got to make sure your terrain is as healthy as possible. Do not give a chance for these disease-causing agents to get a foothold. But the simple fact is, even those who are incredibly he- healthy can succumb. It's, it's often down to genetic makeup amount of exposure there's there's many many variables as crazy as this may sound i think meat is another variable to it i used to get a cold once or twice every single year i ever six and a half years ago i i was in thailand i broke my foot i saw the movie what the the documentary what the health i decided to stop eating meat because of it 
I haven't had a cold or flu in six and a half years. I went to all the rallies, hugged all the people at the height of all this pandemic. I wasn't scared. I didn't wear the breathing inhibitor anywhere I went, and I never caught any of it. And I've never been more healthy by not ingesting this meat. So anybody can say anything about, well, do we need the proteins? I've heard it all. But for my own scientific example, I haven't had a cold or a flu since when I when I used to get sick once or twice every year. Um again i say to people find what works for you and stick with it um but trying to um come up with paradigms like viruses aren't real um bacteria and virus particles are auto generated by the body as part of a cleanup mechanism um you're, you're going to run up against the technologies of the day which demonstrate that that's not the case. And, you know, as healthy as you are going to be, um, I'm pretty sure should you get bitten again by a rabid dog, <laughs> you'd probably, you would be wise to go and seek treatment for it. Um, you know, there are some some diseases that are more debilitating than others right right of course and i'm not against you know the whole medical mafia in in its sense i just had double hip replacement surgery um you know in february where they cut off both of my legs and put in new new hip joints so you know i i didn't get any of their blood i wasn't i didn't take any because uh, I haven't, I've obviously haven't been injected. I think that my problem started 13 years ago when I went on an Asian trip to eight different countries, and I got a, I never had a, a vaccine since I was a kid, and I went and got a bunch of the travel vaccines, and I think whatever was in them, I think it started to attack my uh, immune system and and attack my hip joints. Yeah, and um, again, I'm, you know, people people who are dismissive of people's own experience in relation to um, exposure to these prophylactic agents, etc. Um, it's not fair on the people who get injured by them. Um, we should be open to the fact that, um, yeah, maybe you can, maybe you can use them and at, at a large um, epidemiological level, you can say, yeah, we see a reduction in um, measles or polio, but, in that process, some people are not going to react well to those types of interventions. It's, it's, it's just common sense, right? And so, but the problem is, is that the medical establishment is, again, sort of being very rigid and it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't respond well to um, the individual and how the individual presents um, themselves. And right. There's two cases. One is there should never be, if there's a case that someone could be injured and or killed, it should always be an option, which they're trying to obviously take that out. And two is, uh, you know, everybody is affected differently, right? Like everybody does, you know, like you said, respond, respond differently, but it should always be a choice if there is a risk of harm to you and or your children. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you have the right to say no to the corporate contract that they're trying to force onto you. Okay. 
that's what people need to understand and in a in an age where we're looking at technologies being deployed that have again it's called surreptitious disease mechanisms that might not be you might not notice them for a year five years and we can look at the molecular biology and say hang on that looks problematic yeah again you have to be um circumspect of what it is that these people are trying to push onto you okay so let's let's keep going as we're talking about prions because i want to get to sars sure. and the spike protein right so we've we've sort of covered um prions and they are doing gain of function research weapons research around prions it's been part of their programs for a long time i think they they're very very interested in the that type of disease mechanism again because exposure to emergence of disease has a has generally a long time period so you, you ambiguate where the disease could have come from when you turn up at the doctors because you're developing neurological disorders they'll give you the phrase idiopathic meaning we don't know what caused it or functional neurological disorder and they've been that's been used as a way to dismiss people and perhaps their concerns to exposures that they could have had that caused these um, issues these long-term protein folding disorders so i want to just look at the so here's here's some isolation of the virus right where they've they're taking slices right very very thin slices and reconstructing them and we can see that there's a distinct entity there that we can recognize in our um investigations and what we can and the molecular biology is sophisticated enough to extract out not only the nucleotide sequences but also the amino acid conformation and shape okay and so with sars what they found was very very early on that there were peptides peptide sequences in the spike protein that were homologous to hiv peptides and there was a paper that came out very early on in the pandemic it's called the uncanny similarity of unique inserts in the 2019 ncov spike protein and it's similar to hiv gp120 and the gag protein and i don't know if that's a movie actually but i'll play that and as that spike protein rotates um it seems the color is messed up on the playback but the lighter colored regions are where these peptides that have homology to hiv are located and the ones at the top are part of the um epitope structure that binds to the ace2 receptor now further down on the spike protein about halfway down there's another peptide sequence that has homology with hiv 
that forms part of the furin cleavage site that makes this agent have the possibility to or infect multiple tissues. I'm going to say it's 27 different tissue types suddenly become susceptible to invasion by this viral particle because of the um, these inserts which look engineered. <laughs> right. all, all of this is real and this is what's coming out in the discussions right now and they're and they're trying to tell you that this is limited hangout etc it's not you have they're trying to distract you from what the nature of these weapons are and what i'm going to show you is that these peptide sequences have this amyloidogenic prion like property which causes these long-term disorders Wow. This is heavy stuff there, brother. Mm. Yeah. And like I say, I've been trying to talk about this and my colleagues have as well for um, three and a half years, but we've been heavily, heavily censored. Mm -hmm. So um, this is from... Luc Montagnier, he received the Nobel Prize for discovery of HIV, and he finds whole um, sequences, sequences that have been patented that come from SIV, simian immune deficiency virus, and HIV in this spike protein. Again, hinting that, not hinting, but pointing directly to the fact that it's been engineered. So let's have a look about these HIV GP120 peptides, right? So this is um, looking at HIV in particular, but um, I want to just draw your attention to the title. So direct interaction of HIV GP120 with neuronal, these are just receptor types that cells express CXCR4 and CCR5 receptors induces coffalin actin rod pathology. And so basically they're um, structural peptides in the cell that help maintain a cell shape. Shape defines function. And if you mess with the fundamental shape of a cell, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, function the same anymore yeah and this induces a pathology via a cellular prion protein and nitric oxide dependent mechanism go on so here we report that hiv viral envelope glycoprotein gp120 induces the formation of aberrant rod-shaped coffalin actin inclusion rods cultured mouse hippocampal neurons via a signaling pathway common to other neurodegenerative stimuli including a ligameric, just meaning um, ligamers, think of them like Lego bricks, okay? Soluble amyloid beta, pro-inflammatory cytokines. Previous studies showed that synaptic function is impaired preferentially in the distal proximity of rods with dendrites. Now, um, and I know this is sort of getting a bit technical, but um, what, what you can see here is in 
um, cells that have been exposed to GP120, which SARS-CoV-2 has homology to. You can see the white arrows are pointing at these bright red um, pieces in the neuron, right? And those are distortions in the axonal and dendritic structure of the cell, okay? Let's move on. We just had a quick question from Arthur Sask, K26R, ask him. Uh, yeah, I'll get to K26R. I speak about that a lot. I would like to say I was the first to be pointing that out, and that's been a hard road to travel um, because K26R points at the advantageous polymorphisms, which indicates that you can have a race-based component to this type of technology. So, what we find here, this this was a um, watershed paper in the investigations into SARS. So, amyloidogenesis, remember I showed you um, in the BS, the bovine spongiform encephalopathy, the mad cow brain, the, the big inclusions of amyloid, beta amyloid. Beta amyloid is a signature that we see across many, many neurological disorders, particularly Alzheimer's. Um, and what we see is what this paper is going to try to argue is that the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2, whether it comes from the virus or comes from gene transfection, has peptide sequences in it that are amyloidogenic. They're, they're, once they get in the system, they cause aggregation of the peptide to make these inclusions that disrupt the function of the cell. And I know that I, I know these are going to be looking like very um, technical. That's okay, because there's some people that are very technical that are going to benefit, and some people are going to learn some stuff, and some people it's going to fly over their head. But if this is important, you know, it's just important to get out there for the people that do comprehend it. So um, what you're looking at here is a reconstruction of the spike protein. And basically what they showed was that there are... So if, if you can see on the bottom row, you can see the reconstructions of the peptide structure and you can see that there are elements that have been colored in different colors yeah and what they show is that these sequences are amyloidogenic and when i say amyloidogenic it means it acts like a prion and they're studded all through the spike protein not just one spot there's many okay what happens is is that when this spike protein gets chewed up by the body it's basically like a cluster grenade going off and all these amyloidogenic peptides are released and um, basically what you can see here is these crystalline formations those are the um, on the right hand side. These are um, 
scanning electron microscopy images, you can see that when they take these peptide sequences and put them in a solution of soluble peptides that are normal conformation, out pops these crystalline formations that are oligomers of the normal peptide. This is, this is the disease process of amyloidosis in action. <laughs> Talked about a little bit about um, there are signatures in SARS which would indicate that it's been engineered and designed to inflict harm as much as possible. So the smoking gun. Yes, yes. And so the HIV homology, the furin cleavage site, etc. But there's another one that people don't talk about. And um, when the spike protein gets chewed up, um, there are sequences of peptides that are normally there. So in this case, they're, they're comparing it to MERS, which is another um, coronavirus, uh, SARS-like virus. They're comparing it to the original SARS, and then they're comparing it to other um, corona SARS-like viruses that are endemic. So OC43 is like, generally we think of it as sort of like the common cold. And what they found was that SARS-CoV-2 has this, where this, where these sequences are that are susceptible to the immune system coming in and trying to degrade the protein, it actually has even larger flanking sequences that make it more attractive to these enzymes that break it down to release these amyloidogenic peptides. So again, it's another, just another little indicator that SARS-CoV-2 is particularly unusual and points to a lab origin. Mm -hmm. So um, what they found is that people who get infected with SARS and those who develop the long hauler situation. Remember we were talking about clots, right? And those amyloidogenic peptides from the spike protein, particularly the S1 segment, cause what are called fibrinogen resistant amyloidogenic clots. So when you normally make a clot, a bunch of cofactors are released that cause the clot to emerge and then there are enzymes that come along and, and break it down after the clot has done its job. And fibrinogen is one of the primary enzymes which does that. The amyloid buildup is fibrinogen resistant, right? So the body will digest up the um, clot that does emerge but then you're left with this amyloidogenic clump that can continue to essentially grow like these plaques and um, prion-like formations that we've seen in other examples. And this has been, this was noted in SARS 
patients very early on. And microclotting is also a feature that we see, or amyloidogenic clots is a feature that we see in people who have been gene transfected. So I know, I know these are lots of complex figures and diagrams, etc. But again, this was a this was a um, watershed paper that came through, um, and it showed that in the early yeah the early strains Wuhan original strain. What they found was, and, and I'll just draw your attention to this, right? So if you look at this, can you see my cursor? Yeah. Right. So there's this red line here, right? And then you see that it's got a little blip. It goes There's up. a little, it's really hard to see on my screen. I don't know if you could make it bigger if you wanted to show actually something or you'd need to make that bigger. Yeah, that's much better. Right. So you can see here that there's this um, blip in the, um, it's a, measure of um, the ability of a protein to cause um, prion-like misfolding. And in the early strain, or the Wuhan strain, if you like, right in the receptor binding motif, so one of the most active parts of the, the spike protein, it has this prion-like signal. Now, it's not a huge signal. But the problem is, is that it's in this part that's very, very active biologically and is also the ACE2 receptor can be found essentially anywhere that you've got blood vasculature. And so you have another mechanism for causing prion-like misfolding. Now, you know, a lot of this is sort of computational and does it really occur in um, re the real world, right? Again, what we have here, so there are test models called humanized mice. Essentially, you take um, the immune system of mice, etc., and they uh, and a bunch of other um, tissue, and you put fetal tissue in there, and you humanize them that way. And what, and what they found was that, um, let's read what I've got here underlined, very high levels of infectious virus were uniformly detected in the brains of all the animals on days five and six. Onset of severe disease in infected mice correlated with peak viral levels in the brain. SARS-CoV-2 infected mice exhibited encephalitis hallmarks characterized by production of chemokines, cytokines, leukocyte infiltration, hemorrhage and neuronal cell death and basically again if you can see my cursor you're seeing the spongy form appearance that we associate with prion disorders um it's not only in rodents um you can infect macaques what you find is is that you get um are you okay yeah that's my dog he's dreaming oh, okay. <laughs> he's, he's, fully, he's barking he's barking in his dream so uh, 
and you weren't having a seizure or something, but <laughs> <laughs> let let that let that doggy dream. Okay. So um I've mentioned that there are many or a number of different peptides that we know that misfold that are associated with specific neurological conditions. And there's another one called alpha-synuclein, which is associated with Parkinson's. Here you can take monkeys, you can infect them with SARS, and they start developing um, misfolded proteins of alpha-synuclein. And, you know, we can just... All, all, all we're doing is looking at the um, areas of the brain which show... Um, alpha synuclein buildup and i can tell you this is this was my area of research anything that could produce alpha synuclein in the brain in a healthy animal that's a huge huge advance um with respect to modeling these disorders often we'd use chemical lesioning etc to try to mimic things like parkinson's but here in normal animals we're seeing the de deposition of alpha synuclein. Now I'm going to skip that. Big boy. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that is working, big boy. Okay. Go on, camera. All right, there you go. There's Kitty. Thank you. <laughs> I was just going to um, ask, and it was a question that Lori, our nurse, our retired nurse now, she asked at the beginning, and she says, um, how is this all impacting you, um, like emotionally? Because she said she could see it in your face, especially at the beginning, that, you know, it just seems like you have some sadness and some intensity. And as you're talking about this stuff, I can just feel some rage going on inside oh, of yeah. me. Like, I've got rage, getting, all right. Getting, getting like some of this, like, I'm just like, like, it's some that's why i've been breathing deeply and we just had uh, denise said jesse you look like you've seen a ghost she said a little teasing but it's just i don't know if you see it but i'm just some of this stuff is making me like angry and but not like like at you like at just knowing that there are people out there that are doing these things and creating these like monsters these monster viruses pathogens these bioweapons like how can they possibly think that this is okay in any way really makes me angry yep um i'm like i say i'm furious and like i say i do a stream every day the, uh, the you know the way i sort of cope with it is uh i i have a sort of um i don't know uh, a weird sense of humor about stuff so I, t I take the mickey out of stuff and when i'm not doing this serious side you know i'm uh, i have a um my streams aren't normally like this okay i'm i'm it's more more you try to keep it a little lighter yeah and you know it's a bit sort of edgy humor and um whatnot and that's that's what gets me through and i f i found that that um that works for you know there are people that come every day to listen to what it is that i'm saying and, and doing and trying to um weed out the um the base reality of what it is that we're dealing with and so we're going to get to the vaccines now so 
just one question can you turn it off like you know after you're done your streams for the day you go hang out with the family yeah. can you can you like you know keep yourself at a at a place where you're not constantly you know going through this where you can you know be a positive you know to be around where you're this isn't you know consuming all of your life um yeah i mean i'm uh, you know this this has become my sort of primary um job now and you know the 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 issue i have is having stepped out of the scientific system and tried and, and gone down this pathway of trying to explain to people what's going on explain the neuroscience you know the the biggest concerns is just well um you know money from week to week that that's that's my biggest concern and um beyond that um i'm generally very content and i'm lucky that i have a um a, a community that's you know appreciates what i do and they'll super chat me for an entertaining stream and um i'm i'm happy to keep doing this because you know my previous trajectory prior to the pandemic emerging i was working on essentially the very very edge of the next generation surveillance that involved brain machine interfaces and the ability to monitor in real time what a subject is doing and then deliver stimulation to the brain to alter behavior well that was your job yeah i had my own lab i had a system that I designed um and you know i was close to um getting like neuralink neuralink stuff yeah 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 better than neuralink um and i'm i've you know god has different um plans for us all and mine seems to have been to um now talk about the actual science that's going on try to try to demystify it for people but i can i can show you that you know i was putting electrodes into awake behaving primates and able to modify their behavior and that's wow. that's the ultimate goal of what these next generation control systems are aiming to do now i don't think they need to put electrodes in the majority of the population so it's enough just to give them information controlled information curated information through their screens and you'll modify people's behavior in such a way that they get what they want and we we watched it happen in real time look how many people went and took an experimental gene therapy mm -hmm. and did it to their children as well 
they've been doing this stuff for a long time through subliminal programming, through frequencies, through stuff that's coming through the TV screens, the, you know, the subliminal messaging through music. Like they've been altering propaganda, you know, the messaging, like in movies, the certain things, the coffee shops, the coffee cups, the, the programming that subliminally that they've been doing. I've heard of a technology maybe similar to yours, what they were wanting. Like, say you phone into your office and you call in. Can you hold that for my yeah, kids? Are just Please keep talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My kids yeah, are just uh, fighting over something. Can yeah, yeah, say? yeah. You do your thing. Um, so thank you for everybody that, you know, is watching here. Um, you know, we've got, uh, I know that we had someone say there was over 200 people on all the different platforms um, watching. So... Um, yesterday's stream that we had with, uh, you know, George Webb and, uh, you know, Dr. Paul Cottrell, you know, for most of it. And then George Webb joined. We had two to 300 people watching. Hi there. Okay, beautiful cat. Hi. Ginger. Ginger. So uh, yesterday's stream was about four hours. We're at three and a half hours right now. I appreciate, you know, you all sticking around for this information. It's heavy, but, you know, it's good information um, for anyone. You know, we are on right now live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch. Nova, well, thanks for showing. Uh, she's a girl too, okay. And uh, Twitter and then Rumble. And then I don't know if they're streaming to their other platforms, but... Uh, you know, we're happy to be able to be at so many places and we don't see the chat that comes up, but uh, there was someone here I saw. Oh, where did it go? Uh, there was a comment here on our uh, on our rumble. It says ER Karma Doc is now a monthly supporter. Um, I'm not sure how, uh, you know, uh, on our on our rumble we had monthly supporters so that's the first that i've seen of a monthly of a monthly supporter so thank you for supporting on our rumble channel um we do have some monthly supporters on our facebook and then you can also yeah thank you and people can also donate some stars so we appreciate that it's, it's all good. So we appreciate all of your love and support anyway. And, you know, some people obviously, you know, things are tough right now for most people. Most people are getting squeezed. So anybody that does, you know, support, we super appreciate it. But, you know, even just sharing it out, liking the streams, going on different platforms, liking them, sharing them out to reach other people, that's just as important as any financial contribution because the more people that we can get this pertinent information to, the better we all are so thank you for all of your love and support yep um i second that and like i say i every time someone sends me um a donation um it, you know it lifts it keeps me going um but you know it's also important especially um in the position that i am where you know, we have been censored so heavily because of trying to put this information out um, if you can share it, um, it really makes a difference. Um, where were we? The vaccines. So I've gone through in great detail showing you that the spike protein 
of SARS-CoV-2 has these amyloidogenic, that's, that's the technical term for it, amyloidogenic peptide sequences that act like prions. Okay. Now, is there any evidence to suggest that we would see um, in response to mass gene transfection a assault on the nervous system that would indicate that we're seeing something like prion disorders. Um, so Jean-Claude Perez, Claire Marie Chamin, and uh, Luc Montagnier, um, who's passed away now, um, what they found is that um, in France, they had a very, very sophisticated system to look for the emergence of Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. Why did they have that? Because of the BSE crisis in Britain. Right? So beef from the UK was banned and they would um, and there was a, a it's called new variant CJD oops, what happened there? Point one. I think it must be doing an autosave or something. Hmm. Um, so whilst it's thinking about what it's doing, um, I'll keep talking. It's one of those ghosts ghost in the machines that they sometimes hinder progress. Like, you know, yeah. like I've literally gone to start a live stream and then, you know, everybody's waiting. And then all of a sudden, oh, it, you must reset the computer. Like it's an automatic. It doesn't even give me an option to change it, to do it later. And it's like out of nowhere, just as I'm going to start it. Like, you know, it's just weird stuff like tends to happen out of the blue. It's I just call them ghosts in the machines. Yep. Uh, that's uh, about approximates what we're dealing with. But uh, we're back online, so there, there it is back. So France had a, um, as I said, a very sophisticated surveillance system because of the BSE crisis in the UK, and they were on the lookout for something called new variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob, which is different from... <sighs> the canonical Creutzfeldt-Jakob or familial Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, which tends to emerge earlier in life. And in new variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob, it was hitting young people. It didn't, you know, there were projections that it could be millions and millions of people who were going to um, suffer as a consequence of exposure um, to these prions in the food supply. Now, again, what I want people to recognize is, is that, Kreutzfeldt-Jakob is like the extreme end of a spectrum of neurological disorders. But underneath them all is this process of protein misfolding. Some protein misfolding is more severe than others, but generally it's the same. What they found was France had on average one case of Kreutzfeldt-Jakob Per year and it had been like that for 20 years suddenly in a year they discovered I want to say in France 23 cases of Kreutzfeldt-Jakob and they were occurring on average 11 days after vaccination wow 
could that be a correlation again to fetal tissue being injected into these people and then all of a sudden it started doing some folding um so i don't think it's the fetal tissue i think it's the spike protein right mm. so the lipid nanoparticle carrier causes the um body to make the spike protein and that spike protein we know circulates in the blood we can detect it months later and those bits that we can detect are again amyloidogenic it means that when they come into contact with other peptides they can cause them to misfold which which vaccine um i think this was primarily pfizer would like this was the covid vaccine yes okay wow once a year for 20 years and then all of a sudden they enroll out this vaccine and there's a 23 time increase in in the first year yeah so they they say 26 cases but they added a couple of cases from outside france but in france it was 23. so what people listening to this need to understand is if there's a 23 times increase in Kreutzfeldt-Jakob, it's likely to be the same or even larger increase in Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, all the other dementia-type disorders. And also, again, the long COVID-type state, I would argue, it's a complex state, but primarily it's a central nervous system disorder that's a consequence of protein misfolding an inflammation, ongoing chronic inflammation in the brain. If anybody with a compromised immune system, could this also have killed them and may they not even know that that was part of the statistics? Of course. Um, we're seeing all, all sorts of adverse events following gene transfection. Now, primarily, they seem to be circulatory or cardiac um, acute events. That's what we're seeing at the moment. And again, I showed you the amyloid clots in the blood, right? And amyloidosis also impacts the heart. And so we don't, we don't know all the causes and the problem is is that there's been a sustained effort not to be doing autopsies after people have died after vaccination now um there was a he, he passed away just a few weeks ago um Arne Burkhardt he managed to do a reanalysis and some and, and some autopsies themselves and they found, again, amyloidosis in the brain and in blood vessels and deranged immune responses that are associated with expressed spike protein. Or you'll say, well, maybe it's the virus. Well, the virus expresses other peptides as well. And they don't find those peptides. They only find the spike protein. And so when you've got spike protein from the vaccine plus amyloidosis occurring in brain 
parenchyma, which just means the brain tissue, or amyloidosis, systemic amyloidosis, and only the vaccine spike is present, that points to the fact that the vaccine is probably the cause. Now, does it mean everyone who got transfected is going to have this effect? I think biology is too complex and the body's so resilient. The body is so resilient. Some people with stronger immunities, some vials may have more of it than the other. You know, it's not perfect vials. So I'm sure there's lots of different factors why this affects some people more than others. But the, but the point is, is that there are detectable signals right now. And it fits, right? But, you know, we can go down to the molecular level and it and it's not just vaccine it's it's the virus as well and we don't know what the synergistic interactions are between exposure to the virus and the um gene transfected spike protein it's it, it, we're dealing with many unknowns here so you mean like say someone had the virus pre-getting the vaccine, now they had the virus, they get the vaccine, or they never had the virus, they get the vaccine, then get the virus as well. You know, this this causes some anomalies, I guess. Yeah, so imagine, right, before the vaccines came out, you got SARS, right? And it has um, all these amyloidogenic peptides. It appears to be engineered. And, and another thing that I didn't mention, but uh, it contains another anomalous gene sequence that isn't there in other Sarbeco, um viruses, coronaviruses. And it's called um, Open Reading Frame 10. And it's another highly amyloidogenic peptide when expressed. And, you know, where did that come from? So I'm my professional opinion is that they have managed right that it's been a desire for a long time to weaponize prions but the problem was as you, like I say you you had to ingest them or they had to aerosolize them in a room for you to for you to succumb hmm. now what they've managed to cotton onto is that they can make peptides cause this amyloidogenic prion-like response and it's transmissible there was a paper out last week which basically showed that every variant whether it's the Wuhan original strain or the what appears to be the less severe Omicron strains all of them are neuroinvasive what does that mean? It means they're able to get into the brain. Wow. What about shedding then? Like, you know, someone that's been injected, um, you know, are they producing these spike proteins now that they're leaving their body that someone they could breathe on someone, sneeze on someone, you give them a massage? Can, like how can, if there is shedding, how is it transmissed? So, um, there are papers which would support the idea that there are freely circulating spike protein components 
what happens is is as the cell begins to make the peptide and it gets it's producing a lot of it right they, they so they engineered the synthetic spike protein to be resistant to breakdown by using uh, pseudouridine right so you're making lots and lots and lots of spike protein and what happens is is that gets trafficked to the cell membrane and often will sort of bleb off in what and essentially what's an exosome and those are those are what we can detect circulating in the blood months later so if they're circulating in the blood yes they could be coming out of your sweat your breath etc now is that enough to cause issues in other people maybe i don't you know i don't think the experiments have been done yet but i again in an environment where we're looking at what appears to be weaponization of prion like amyloidogenic peptides i would keep all hypotheses on the table until we can thoroughly dismiss them we can't have the talking heads and the fact checkers just dismissing it because they don't want you talking about it they don't want you knowing about it at all what about people that are you know one couple you have a husband and a wife one decided to get three shots one didn't they're kissing they're having unprotected sex is that now going to that's different than obviously just getting a little bit of shedding you're actually mixing body fluids are you just as vaccinated as the person that got three shots if you're being regularly intimate I don't know. Maybe. Um, and none of this is um, good in my mind until we've done the experiments to dismiss any concerns. And the issue is, is that we're not doing experiments. We're, we're left with trying to look at epidemiological data and look for signals in there. But at, at the individual level, there are clear first principle mechanisms for these pathologies it's not something i'm making up it's just it's there in the literature linda from our youtube channel is saying what about transmuting transmuting it to the brain through the nose with the covid test swabs when they were jamming these things up people's noses breaking the blood brain barrier was there you know, potentially anything on these swabs that they were sticking into people's brains? I don't know. Um, in, in again, I would I would say you've got to look at this as you're you're in a bio warfare environment right now, and we're any, at war. Yeah, any any vector could be weaponized. So, you know. Try to try to minimize your exposure to it. Um, look, I, I had to have a couple of PCR tests to travel, and just just to actually get into the hospital once, I had to get a PCR test. Um, didn't I didn't have any problems, but you know I think I got a very very severe case of SARS early on in the December from Daegu and the super spreader event that occurred there 
I don't know about, you know, when it all started, but my mom got it in late October, earlier in November. She got so sick. And then once everybody started, you know, and I told her you had it because she was so scared. I'm like, you had everything, all these symptoms. She was like sick for three weeks. This was late October, early November before they traveled to Australia in January and then got back before it all started closing down or whatever. Right. But, you know, she had it late October, early November. Yep. There's evidence that it was circulating much earlier. There's, um, evidence from Europe that they could find traces of uh, SARS-CoV-2. Um, I'm, I would be very suspicious of, you remember the vaping deaths? Yeah. That's indistinguishable from a symptomatic perspective to SARS. Wow. They could have been put it in some juice just Maybe. to test it out. Maybe. Or vaping just left you more susceptible to it because your immune system was down and it was, wow. So we know that vaping upregulates ACE2 receptors in the lungs. So, hmm. you know, <laughs> there's suspicion around Fort Detrick that maybe it came out of there. They closed down in 2019. Their inventory system went offline. And hmm. they, they were working on SARS as well. We had all this mysterious cluster of these um, severe respiratory diseases in in close proximity to Fort Detrick. In my opinion, we should be exhuming those bodies and thoroughly testing them independently to make sure that um, we can exclude that phenomenon. But that's not being done. They're, they're creating a cloud of confusion. Right? That's, that's what they want. They want you, um, well, the, the psychological process is to induce into you a state of learned helplessness. And that happens when your environment becomes unpredictable and you're generally bombarded with negative stimuli that you can't predict. And hmm. if we're at war, then that, that becomes a tactical aim to induce in your adversary. So we've seen, you know, there's evidence that Vaccines cause, in some instances, some instances, they cause CJD-like symptoms. Um, this is a little out of date now, but, you know, this is the all-cause mortality from the U.S. And where do we see the excess deaths? Well, we see it in Alzheimer's disease and dementia patients and in cardiovascular disorders, exactly where the preclinical and clinical literature was showing us, where these amyloidogenic clots are forming. These amyloidogenic processes are triggering and accelerating neurodegenerative states. 
and <laughs> yes in the elderly who are already symptomatic for alzheimer's parkinson's etc it will just accelerate their disease and um, take them out in the young what you get is the MECFS type state, the long COVID, long hauler state. Anything that you've come across your research, what people can do if they've got this long COVID, you know, to help them through detoxing, fasting for a month? Could you literally get this stuff out of you somehow if you just drank water, say, or just some juices for a month? Um, like, is there? Well, the. Again, I would say. Find find what works for you. And yes, some people have said that fasting has helped um, work on the um, but if you if you know that you've got this amyloidogenic process going on, there are some um, potential interventions that you could use. Uh, quercetin seems to be a popular one. Um, I'll talk about natokinase, etc. Um, my natokinase is soy, though. That's soy protein based, and again, yeah. soy is probably it's mostly genetically modified, not really the best. I I just seen that today about you know why are they pushing this natokinase when it's you know a soy based product, which is probably already modified. Essentially, and you know I'm. I always say to people, again, try and find what works for you and um, stick with it. But definitely, you know, a good strategy is reduce inflammation. And, um, you know, protein misfolding takes place in the, in the fire of inflammation. So if you can get a handle on that. Um, heat shock proteins, sauna, is potentially a good good intervention um this is a complex and difficult state to deal with and like i say ask ask the people who get long covid their life becomes a misery and there's very little that seems to be able to be applied in these instances <clears throat> now i heard i heard about the sauna stuff right at the beginning people that was one of the theories people were saying breathe this hot air through your nose it was helping and then we had another doctor um uh what's his name uh dr circus um he lives in brazil and uh, he was so against MMS, so against the chlorine dioxide he was just one of these firm proponents he got long covid um, he was so sick and nothing was helping. He was sick for two weeks. I think this was maybe before the vaccine. I'm not sure. But uh, he, someone came over and gave him some MMS and all of a sudden he was better and he had to retract himself. And he's like, I'm so sorry for all the people that I was saying this, you know, how bad this MMS is. And that actually helped him. So he had to totally change his whole vibration when it comes to something that he was so firmly against. Yeah, well, again, I'm. My job is the systems neuroscience and trying to explain 
what the cause is. I'm not a medical doctor. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm often reluctant to say you should be trying X, Y, or Z, right? Um, my, my job is to point out what it is that they've weaponized and how they're, how they're using it and make people realize that they, they literally, and it's such a intricate, complex weapon that they used that um, not only was it the genetic engineering at the molecular level to make something like SARS, you had to, in order to maximize the impact at a population scale, maneuver all the bureaucracies, etc., to work in your favor such that you stopped people from using medications and early interventions push people towards what i would consider at the moment the binary component of a weapon via gene transfection and until until we we've done the experiments to definitively say that that's not the case it has to remain on the table and i would argue it's the primary case that has to stay on the table because it's it's literally your life and future at stake and you don't think that these people who want to initiate all these digital um totalitarian full spectrum dominance surveillance want to knock you down so you don't feel like getting up off the sofa because your brain fog is so bad your muscles hurt that's that's how this incapacitation agent would work and three three years i've been doing this more trying to warn people about what what this means what the molecular biology means i've had to deal with people who think that viruses aren't real viruses aren't real proteins are not real is that where we're going? Because that's what you've got to argue here. <laughs> These are proteins, misformed proteins that act in this surreptitious, long-term, debilitating fashion. Again, is it everyone? No, probably not. But what we do know is it gets into the brain and it can occur even without the acute symptoms. The people get a mild case of SARS-CoV-2. And then a month later, they're suddenly developing these long-hauler symptoms. And that's because of the neuroinvasiveness of it. But you found no correlation then to some of these frequencies or these towers, you know, because I know people that have personally been affected by it. I've heard stories of people that have had sick kids that had smart meters outside of their room and literally they didn't know what was going on, took them to all the doctors and things like that. And then just removed the children out of the room where that meter was installed. And all of a sudden they started to get better. Like I know people are being affected, you know, neurologically by these meters or these frequencies by some of this technology. So would they maybe not be working hand in hand to attack us in multiple different ways? 
Um, potentially. Um, electrosensitivity is a known phenomenon. Um, you know, I think... You know, the, the, the question I get asked is, can they sort of control your behavior with these um, frequencies? N n no, I don't think so. Can they make you feel ill? Yeah, potentially, if you're, if you're sensitive to it. Um, but it, again, it's one of those things where the, because of the variation in people's biology, someone can come into the same environment and what's making one person sick doesn't impact another, particularly with um, electromagnetic radio. And I can, I can tell you from doing literally every type of brain stimulation interaction um, on the cortex, deep in the brain, it's very, very hard to modify goal-directed behavior. So... Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not into the care about the actually if they can get you to go, you know, kill somebody and modify and put these ideas in your head. That stuff is happening. That's not the thing. But if they are weakening your immune system, if they're putting these injecting you, catch this SARS-CoV-2 virus. You've injected this stuff into you that's weakened your immune system. Would you not potentially be affected by these electromagnetic frequencies a lot more? than someone like for me they don't affect me but you know other people that i'm around the more sensitive can feel these things you know more more than what I, I would but if they are weakening your immune system through food and air and water and frequencies and all this could the frequencies not potentially have some kind of effect in a negative way on yeah. Yep. The, the bodies yeah okay so as long as we're you know on there because i like i said i've known i've five years ago they installed a five uh, a, a a meter a smart meter on this guy's house in australia and he's telling me he had to go move out into the bush because he it was getting him such bad headaches from this this meter that was installed right like it was some random guy i don't know how verify was some guy i met online but like i've been hearing these stories over and over of people that have been affected by these towers or smart meters or or you know a mom that's talking about her kids being sick and you know getting better when she moved them out of that room that was attached to the meter so um um again i'm never i'm never going to discount someone's personal experience around this sort of technology right? Look, mm -hmm. i don't have a problem with it i sit in front of well, i didn't say that but um you know perhaps if i wasn't sitting in front of screens all day i'd be running around like i was 20 years old i don't know <laughs> um but um Electro smog and sensitivity is a known phenomenon. Um, you know, the, like I say, the the question I often get is just that: oh, they're gonna they're gonna control you like an automaton <laughs> through these frequencies, and and I'm not convinced of that. Make you feel ill, incapacitate you. Yeah, yeah, that seems to fit their modus operandi for sure. 
this is why I brought this up when you were saying that some of this long COVID making people sit around lethargic on their couches, not wanting to move, which it seems that they're doing that is for some people as well with these towers or frequencies. And even Dr. Paul Cottrell, who we had on yesterday, um, you know, he's very much when I first had him on, I asked him if the virus was real and all this. And he went off the dumbass truthers or not. This virus is real. He went off. But he was talking about when they installed uh, a tower right outside of his apartment in New York, that he started to get these migraines and he started to get these bad headaches. So he's a firm proponent in this virus and all that and these bioweapons, but also feeling the effects of these these towers. Mm. Yeah, I, look, um, electronic warfare is a highly developed discipline and is part of the the war that we're in. Yeah, yeah, and you know, look, I, I think the infrastructure that they're building around us is built far more towards surveillance. Right? They want to be able to predict your behavior and. Um, make sure that you're um conforming Compliant. what what yeah. they want and the from a strategic perspective right if you can if you can knock out a third of the population which you know there are there are people talking about those numbers with respect to um long covid etc um that's that's a third of people taking out, and then you've got people that need to take care of the people who have um, who are feeling unwell, right? So you're you're taking huge chunks out of the population, such that they're unable to resist any radical changes that you're going to make. And killing off the weak and the elderly yes. to, you know, limit any financial burdens that, you know, they may be causing, you know, for, you know, having to be taken care of. Like it's a, it's a deep diabolical plan. Terrible. Um, like I say, I was um, heavily, heavily embedded in it. Um, so I, just circumstances fell out that I'm now I'm talking about what it is that they're doing it's god um, bless you brother like um, i love you man thank you so much for just seeing the the light and you know doing what you're doing and may protection always be around you and may abundance come your way for you you know sticking to you know the non-popular road yeah and it's, it's been hard look you you try talking about race-based bioweapons particularly when it's got an ashkenazi fingerprint on it totally Right. That's um, it's like I say, I'm I'm still in shock that it, it, it's got brought into the presidential debate by mm -hmm. RFK. But I, I, I was talking about that for years. And, you know, I don't know whether I developed the right strategy to do it. I mean, I just I went down the, um, you know, because I have to I have to stream. I have to survive. Right. And so, you know, I I have a cutting sense of humor and um you know i i can be hypercritical of any and all things and i i make um i turn it into a form of entertainment 
good for you that that works for you um but the the underlying science hasn't changed and the the more data we get the more it looks like at best at best what we're seeing is a chernobyl or fukushima like event as a consequence of biowarfare medical countermeasures industries at best worse you start going down the or, or up the severity scale there was intention behind it and the manner in which we see coordinated responses across the planet just leads me to think that there's far more nefarious um, goals being played out and yeah I you know I try and spend my time trying to tell people they've gone to war against you they've gone to war against you it's not it's not like your grandparents war there's not planes flying overhead to blitz your city anymore these are very sophisticated next generation weapons such that you don't know you're at war that's mm -hmm. how they want it that's why the spring somehow you know it's whatever anybody wants to say about what's happening in the skies something is happening because there didn't used to ever be these lines in the skies that turn all these clouds into these chemical mists everywhere like this was never like that before and this is happening so um, some people were trying to say that it's part of the surveillance to spray stuff so people can't surveil us if they're putting this veil of stuff in there there's all kinds of explanations why this stuff is being sprayed but it's all part of their military warfare you know yeah. whether they're protecting or whether they're you know putting something in the air to harm us just to weaken us like something is happening up in the skies as well yep um i i've always wondered if it's part of um radars right so in order for a radar to work over the horizon they've got to bounce it off something so you put metal particles into the sky and you can hit them and ex extend the range of radars etc and maybe it's stuff stuff like that um, some people say the opposite that they're protecting the radars from coming in by putting this mist over so that way they can't be surveilled so that's what the one of the theories that i've from a very smart group of people that i was listening to like i said i don't know if i believe anybody or anything because i hear so many different theories about so many different things but that's one of the more plausible theories of of maybe why they're they're, they're spraying the skies the way they are and again you're at war um be you know tread very very carefully but also look you've got this far if you're listening right so you know short short of them pulling us all into a ukraine-like situation where you're getting shelled every day um it's possible to take take your own countermeasures and um 
part of that is not getting into a state of denial, right? Because you don't like what the data points at. And this is something that I've seen with people who think that there is no virus, etc. They don't, they don't like the emergence. They can see the emergence of this bio surveillance state. And so it's better, it's better to believe, or it's more comforting to believe that some of the more nefarious tools that they have are not real. Right? It's a kind of security blanket. But I can assure you that the science points to it. We can, we can pick it out. It takes, you have to be able to look at a lot of different literature and sort of understand it, but it's there. We we can see it in multiple dimensions, and um, you would be, you know, like I say, if you've got this far and it hasn't hasn't impacted you, great, great, you're lucky. Um, but there have been many many people who have been hurt or maimed or, or are dead now because of how they fired this weapon. And the weapon is not just the agent. It's all the ancillary bureaucracy, uh, bureaucracy, but the the ability to distort infra infrastructure, organizations, well, it, everything it, that we trusted. The information, the information, I think the mind virus is the worst one. That sense of all this crazy bioweapons, the mind virus, like putting people down all these different roads and paths and the fear and the propaganda and putting people against each other, can't hug grandma, you know, all these things. Like, I think that that is by far the worst one that they've had control is the control of the people's minds. You know, the all these other... Yeah, all these other attacks are just byproducts, but controlling the mind, you know, the only thing that they can't control is love and, you know, the, the love vibration. So they're trying to destroy it in every way possible by, you know, creating all of these narratives that, you know, put people up against each other every single way that they want people divided because they're scared of a united front. Yep. yep. And um, the one thing that does scare them is that there are, Far more of us than them, right? When, when they're telling you it's your fault because of global warming, right? It's 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 your fault that um, because you eat meat that week or you, they're all they're doing is projecting what they're doing onto the public and. Um, gaslighting them okay 100 percent. you will know them by their fruits most people expose themselves by what they say and do and they try to project that upon you to make you feel like it's your fault that this is all happening that's the classic narcissist these non-empathetic you know crazy souls i just I, i'm sort of done with the yeah, that's that's fine. Um, I just wanted to mention, so we do this thing called the High Vibe Love Tribe. So Lori just said, I hope you do the weekly HVLT. 
So I wanted to mention to you and to everybody that's listening. So when the lockdown first happened, they had a meditate for the Earth Day. And it was David Wilcock. He was on. I was telling everybody we need to meditate, pray for the Earth Day. Um, I think this was in March or late March or early April of 2020. And like I said, I've been at this for a very long time, um, telling people at that time for 13 straight years on social media, telling them about these Ashkenazis and because Aryans and, you know, the Clintons and all these kind of things. I've been at this for a very long time. But how I did it on social media is I put a lot of funny posts, a lot of cute posts, and then I would put in the conspiracy, a lot of funny, cute and conspiracy. So I wasn't just a crazy conspiracy nut that people would actually like to see my stuff instead of just turn me off because I did that big mix. But when the lockdown happened and they did the Meditate for the Earth Day, we i we decided i wanted to pivot i didn't want to do the conspiracy stuff anymore i've been doing it for so long that we decided to change the vibration and they wanted everybody in fear so we created this group called the high vibe love tribe where i turned on some music i went live every single day for the first year of the lockdown seven days a week two to four hours a night i put on some music dance on the computer in front of everybody started adding weights and then i'd sit down we had a guided meditation put on some healing frequencies and playing tibetan singing bowls and bongo drums so did this seven days a week starting in April for 11 straight months, two to four hours a night. There was only four days in 11 months because we were camping and no connection or whatever we tried, but four days in 11 months. So, um, but I've had bad hips because of these injections, I believe 13 years ago that I got. Right. So um, after 11, it was obviously doing this dancing every night for 11 straight months. It was physically taking a toll on me. Um, so we kind of, and other reasons, we kind of stopped it. We just had another high vibe love tribe. My legs are getting back. It's been, you know, about five months since my thing. So I just was able to dance a full straight hour. So um, Lori wanted me to tell you about it. She's like, it's a way that at the time we don't talk about the virus. We don't talk about politics. We don't talk. We just have a nice safe space for people to come to. And while they wanted everybody in fear, people would research all day long and then they'd come hang out at the high vibe love tribe every night so um she says i hope we start doing this you know weekly again which we are i was actually going to do another one tonight i want to get back into shape because it got me dancing every night lifting weights every night i got i was in the best shape that i was in years even though my legs were in such you know pain we're going to start doing that at least weekly um maybe even more i i was actually going to do if i thought this was going to be maybe a two-hour session i was actually going to go dance after this but i don't think i'm going to do it now but i'm going to start doing it a lot more for you and for anybody it's a youtube channel called the high vibe high vibe love tribe facebook high vibe love tribe um that's a separate than this missing link it's just its own little safe space for anybody that you know just some people start dancing with me people were saying they were getting weights i said grab tomato soup cans if you don't have weights and put it in your hand and you know it's just a good place to keep people in a balanced safe place when they wanted everybody afraid yeah um you know you've got a there's a lot of weaponized neuropsychology that's been um deployed against the people in the last few um everyone knows now about nudge psychology etc all, all this all of it is designed to induce a state of learned helplessness 
they've got that stuff worked out down to the molecular level like they have prions right they know they know what it is that they're doing and um yeah it, it the way to get out of that is to always be taking the initiative always don't sit back and feel that you're being overwhelmed by uh what it is that they're doing and you know isolation is one way to break people for sure um but also the other is the adverse unpredictable adverse stimuli right that's that's how they know how to really um break the animal so in the early testing that they would do right so what that what they found is is that put a rat in a cage where its feet get electric shocks right and if the rat knows that there's an electric shock coming the rat remains okay if it's just random right eventually the rat even though it's getting painful shocks sits there and takes it <laughs> and that's what that's essentially what they're doing to you it's it's more sophisticated it's more um I think refined is the wrong word. But finding sort of implies that it's uh, heading towards something better. Good. Yeah, <laughs> this this isn't. This is this is. You have to look at everything as being weaponized right now. And I don't know. Like my my way of dealing with it is is doing what I'm doing now. And you know the um, I have a very cool community that you know the mimetic warfare etc that's that's what i get into and um i feel like i'm on the front foot when doing this and you know the a lot of the narrative controllers etc know that i'm problematic they will go to great lengths to avoid interaction with me because they know that they either get mauled scientifically or they get mauled mimetically and it's been um it's been effective and you know we've got to a point where if they wanted their if they got their way right what they what they were hoping for is to convince the world that nature has this propensity to spit out um these pathogens and that they're um capable of shutting the world down and they wanted to convince you that that was nature doing that and you're you're going into nature into the woods was could put everyone at risk this is this is why there's this um push towards 15 minute cities etc they want you urbanized they want you under surveillance and they want they want you um conforming to what their and essentially it's malthusian um, type of ideology and um, what they what they hoped was that the lab origin wouldn't get out they fought very very hard to stop that and they hoped to be in, convince people to take the vaccine passports to take um, this next generation of medical interventions etc and make it a form 
of mass control. And, you know, the simple fact is it's, it's aimed very, very heavily at the Western countries because there's a ingrained sense of individual rights and sovereignty. They have to break that. And, you know, the United States is the sort of bulwark against what, what they're trying to achieve. Um, but, you know, people in other countries can um, not comply. Right? That's what I try to people. Do not comply. You're, you're going to have to live amongst this new system. Right? It's, and uh, the example I always give is, if you told someone in 1900 that you would have to walk around with a piece of, like, w with a piece of plastic, you'd have to explain to them what plastic was, right? Because th th they would have no conception. And on that plastic would be a high-resolution, full-color picture of you, and, you know, high-resolution, three-point font, giving your name, address, etc., and you had to walk around, they would think you were crazy, right? And then try and explain to them cell phones. Right? They, they wouldn't believe what it is that you're saying and what, it, what the implications of that would mean. And so technological progress is it's kind of a given, right? And... You've just got to be aware of the dual-use nature of it. You're going to have to live amongst it, but again, you don't have to comply. Um, if they're releasing agents into the environment, make sure you're doing your best to maintain your health. Um, don't, don't give your health over easily. They want you incapacitated. They want you stuck in your house. They want you watching their program etc right because then you're not a threat you're a threat when you're doing what we're doing now you're a threat when you're not complying they inculcate that the kids that their kids understand what's going on and it's a multi-generational fight so maybe the initial bio warfare component is over it's the next phases now but you must you must understand all these steps, everything that they're trying to do. And from my perspective, I, it, for me to um, feel grounded and secure, I want to understand the mechanisms of what it is that they're deploying against me. Right? And you now think of it. If you're uh, an indigenous and uh, up rocks... Uh, a completely different looking person and they pull out their boomstick and it can knock you down and kill you from 100 meters you want to know what, what's in that right and you've got to understand what that you know that's an old uh, metaphor to use but you know it's not it's, it's not the boom right you've got to understand that there's a bunch of physics chemistry involved that, that causes that that can cause harm and it's we're in the same situation right now 
And how do I protect myself? How do I stop it? How do I, you know, stop them? Good to know what is going on, who's doing it, what they're doing in order to keep ourselves and our family safe through any of this stuff that, you know, they're throwing at us. Yep. Precisely. And that's, that's why I do what I do. Um, and yeah, people seem to find it healthy. They, they, look, you may find my humor a bit on the, um, uncomfortable side but you know i have to sit here every day trying to do this and it's without laughter it would be a very dark um totally if you can entertain yourself through these two three four hours where you can keep yourself entertained where it's not so mundane for you it makes it easier for you to get up in every day and do it yep and you know it, it involves you know it pulls other people together and um, you know, there's a we've got a great community on my Discord and um, just just through the streaming and um, yeah, thank you, Chris, for putting that. Up. Okay, so uh, we have Arthur. He, he's asking about the K26R. Ask him, and then he mentioned this RFK Junior is talking K26R because of Kevin and the crew. Kaboom! So my question kind of correlates because I had a question about RFK as well. So you were mentioning that he had mentioned something of this. Mentioned, you know, the Ashkenazis maybe not being affected. That's obviously going to make a big target. Some people believe that he's just another one of the controlled ops you know in this fight by him mentioning that does that make you have a little bit more respect for him and maybe less of a controlled op or do you think that this is just another way to get someone in front of the narrative that you know is in a position that uh you know he can help control it for them if if that's another one that's getting maybe out? but you know what um I never thought that we would be talking about biowarfare, the involvement of deep state apparatus, the um, technology that's available to exploit polymorphisms, and suddenly now it's part of the presidential debate. Great. Um, let's start talking seriously. There's, why is Israel allowed to have ambiguity with respect to biowarfare development we know that they were involved in race-based biowarfare going back to the 70s in conjunction with south africa it was called project coast um we we have to get out because the wife is here and uh, <laughs> the kids are causing chaos downstairs so <laughs> um the um I'm glad it's there as um, a conversation. And I look, I'm not, I don't think that it's all Jewish people, right? It's like, I come from the UK. There's a blue blood parasite class that doesn't represent me, mm -hmm. right? And I'm sure that they've been milking and um, taking advantage of every facet of, um, the war that's been triggered and you know i'm i'm as harsh on them as i am k26r groups right but the the lesson is we must be talking about it 
We must not be afraid of talking about these particular groups and the fact that they may, they're potentially holding a gun to her head. I'm going to have to go. I'm streaming right now, sweetheart. I'll be down in a second. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have to go, but, um, I wanted to talk to you sort of offline. Um, sure. Did you want to mention the K26R? Do you want to do that the next stream? So we'll, we'll book, we will book you right away if you'd like to come back in, in a couple of weeks or a week or whatever. Sure. So just K26R is a, um, amino acid sequence, um, in the ACE2 receptor that just makes it, um, have less binding energy to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And K26R is a polymorphism that's found in a subset of Ashkenazi. It's not even all Ashkenazi, it's a, it's a subset, okay? So um, that's that's all it is. And it's it's associated with Ashkenazi. The, you know, the more interesting aspect is that they have two advantageous polymorphisms with respect to the furin cleavage site and the ACE2 receptor, right? So this is this is where um, this discussion needs to be had. And if RFK is bringing it up and there are Jewish people of, um, they should be concerned, right? Because maybe they, maybe they had nothing to do with it. The technology is such that you could frame somebody, right? By making it look like they put, or, or that advantage is in there. Wow. Right? That's another mm. door to think about. So it's imperative that we have this conversation. And of course, look, um, we should be allowed to talk about the fact that they engage in in-group preference such that they will make sure that their kind are, are in the positions that matter right they they fill the universities they fill the banking system etc all i would say is learn from them right and just don't be afraid of the you know when they start calling you <laughs> bigoted or or racist or whatever for pointing out the obvious and what they're doing mm -hmm. you know it's it's you've got i just say you've got to be able to walk that fire um, and like I said, I've been doing it for three and a half years. Yeah, it limits the reach I can have because they'll, they'll censor me um, really hard. Um, but um, I'm still here, still doing it. And um, yeah, suddenly it's part of the presidential debate. Great. That's amazing. So just like what you said, you know, there's this royalty, blue blood, queen, monarchy that are parasitic scumbags doesn't mean that all british people are parasitic scumbags there's the catholic church the vatican you know that have a lot of these pedo scumbags that are these blue blood same type of thing doesn't mean all catholics are bad there's these you know ashkenazis jewish people that are you know parasitic scumbags doesn't make them all parasitic scumbags you know that's how we have to look there's a small group of parasitic scumbags and they come from all all these different areas doesn't mean everybody is a bad that is in, you know, that believes or is a part of that uh, culture or that, that race. Yep. And that's, that's the step with which we need to move forward. And that will scare those little cliques, those little groups, 
once people have cottoned on to that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I hope we can bring the conversation to that. I'd, I'm, I'm happy to speak to a Jewish rabbi and explain the molecular biology to him and what it means. And, um, yeah, you know, there could be two options here, rabbi. There's a subset in your country who we can't go and investigate because uh, you won't sign treaties with respect to nuclear, biological and chemical warfare or someone's trying to set you up. But either way, both both are really problematic. Right. I I like that. That theory. So amazing. Um, Someone asked if this has been my longest stream, nor my first interview uh, about a year ago with Dr. Paul Cottrell was five hours and 17 minutes. We did four hours with him yesterday. I've done a few four hour stuff. Um, We actually did a lights of the round table where we had 10 different people come together talking about like the Bible and stuff. So I think that one was over five hours, but this is four hours, 38 minutes. Um, Kevin, Dr. Kevin here, he's got to go wonderful presentation thank you we still got over a hundred and something people here that have been here the whole entire time so um thank you so much for everybody for all your love and support um i'm your host jesse hall of the missing link uh, may the source be with y'all may the source be with you dr kevin please leave your comments please share this out to as many people as possible tag as many people as possible help us break the algorithms um, thanks again for you know being a part of this and just uh, the love and support that we keep on getting while we try to figure out what the heck is really happening because they're leading us down so many different roads. And unless we have these conversations, unless we continue talking about all of our experiences, we've had a lot of doctors, a lot of nurses, a lot of vaccine injured people we've brought on here. We're actually trying to give a voice to the voiceless, to the censored, and that's what the missing link here is about. So please subscribe to all our channels. And um, we have, I think, two more doctors this week. Um, tomorrow, we have uh, Sammy Richard out of the UK going to be talking about his theories about what's going on. On Thursday, we've got Dr. Christy Sutton. On Friday, we got Christopher Shira. He's got a podcast. He's going to talk about what you know he thinks is going on. Then on Saturday, we've got uh, Dwayne Hayes. He's a big researcher connecting the dots on you know how this all came from the 20s and the 30s, some of these families that are kind of involved. And then on Saturday, we also got Dr. Robert Dixon. He's a, a water specialist. He's going to be talking about what they're putting into the water, um, what's been going on the fluoride. We just heard that another city, um, it potentially someone quit because they were putting astrazine in the water and they didn't want to be part of that. Astrazine is a is a chemical that they're spraying in pesticides that are help changing gender dysphoria. Um, they've had proven that frogs can actually, males can actually um, create uh, female the fox, genitalia. The frogs are gay. They're turning gay. <laughs> so, yeah, so, well, this is, this is some of the stuff that potentially is, again, how we're being attacked. We're not just being attacked by the viruses, the bioweapons. We're not just being attacked oh, yeah, by the spectrum. foods and the pesticides, the air, the water, the foods, the viruses, the medications, you know, the even they're not rotating the soil like the crops and so the nutrients are being come deficient in the soil so you're eating these fruits and vegetables that are very nutrient deficient
deficient in a lot, especially the Western countries and stuff, right? And then the modification where the body doesn't recognize it. So we're being attacked and we're just trying to, you know, enlighten people to what's going on. So maybe we can, you know, stop you know, this insanity and come back to healing again. And that's the ultimate mission why I believe I was brought to this earth and I'll just continue on fighting while I still have breath here. Yeah, God bless you, sir. We need more people like you. Um... God bless you too. So we'll see you, everybody. See you next time we see you and we'll bring on Dr. Kevin soon um, whenever, you know, we can figure that out. We're going to chat a little bit right now. So see y'all um, wherever you are in the world and we'll see you back when we see you back on the missing link. Love y'all for one love, one heart, one life. Bye everyone.